Hey, welcome to the 288th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. Supporters? They're supporters of the show. You can be a supporter or a supporter by going to patreon.com slash jmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. I just talked about The Life of Pi, a movie from 2012, which I hadn't seen before. I, I listened to the audiobook, uh, so you can hear all about that. Before that, I talked about X-Men, The Hidden Years. Um, I haven't decided quite yet. Um, I'll, I'll let you know by the end of the episode what, what I'll probably do this week. But 30 minutes bonus. If you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four. That is ko-fi.com slash heck. All right. As far as the news, what is going on this, this week? Um, no, no, I'm trying to think if there's anything like really huge, really big. Uh, one thing... With the so we got Shazam, Fury of Gods coming up, and David F. Sandberg, because he commented, some people are like, like, yeah, I'm not going to go see the movie because you know with all the stuff happening in DC, I don't know, and blah blah like that. But he's like, you know, Shazam could still be part of the DCU, basically if people go and see the movie. So apparently, what what they've said is that it doesn't like contradict anything that they have planned casting Henry Cavill and then going with a younger Superman, you know, that that's a contradiction. But, you know, we could get more Shazam if, if people are interested. You know, they, they said the same thing about Ezra Miller, that it could be possible that they, they keep going, you know, depending on, on how, how, how things go. So basically, if you're digging this, you know, this current Shazam, go see the movie. Otherwise, you know, it, it's not going to happen. Jeff Loveness it's the writer for Ant-Man, Wasp, Quantumania, uh, King Dynasty. He says that with King Dynasty, I, I don't know if this is really news or not, but he's saying the X-Men or Fantastic Four probably aren't going to be used. That, you know, they're probably going to be like saved for something else. Like, it's too early to use them yet. You know, they're just still trying to figure out, you know, what what's, you know, where, where how they're going to debut and everything like that. I think that I'm really curious, especially with the X-Men. Uh, all of a sudden you have mutants, but so they're not going to be in King Dynasty. But he mentions, you know, there are going to be some other cool characters, stuff like that. And he mentions, uh, so basically he's, I think he said something from Black Widow, which is like Florence Pugh. And I think Letitia Wright's going to be in there. But that's not coming out to like, 2025. I think it's like February 14th, 2025. He was also there. There's a, a news article how he was he was surprised by the the negative comments on Ant Man. You know, it really threw him off because you know he he thought that you know people were enjoying it, and then then you know he was kind of bummed with everything. Then he actually went to like movies, like people were laughing at Modoc and people were enjoying. It. He's like the reviews are wrong. People were, were liking it, so because. <laughs> I, it always drives me nuts when you see these these comments. They always talk about the week two and the drops because Ant-Man and Wasp apparently had a 69% drop in the second week. That almost seems kind of normal. It's always like 60% drop and everyone's like, like oh, the movie's doing so so bad and, and everything like that. But it's like, no, it's, it's always like that. So I don't know, because like Thor, Love and Thunder, which everyone likes r- ripping on that as well, that had a 67.7% loss. So I don't know. I just don't understand why my people are are so negative about stuff like that. Same thing, like uh, so uh, the trailer, the final, the trailer for the final season of Riverdale came out, 
I, someone commented, I think it was like Lily Reinhardt or something like that, about like people are some, you know, some people are like, like, oh, I can't wait for the show to end. <laughs> it's like, wh- why, why, why do you feel have to say that? Like, why does this show the end of the show or the success? How does that af- affect your life? If you, if you don't care about something, awesome, great, move on. Why are you so hung up on something? It's it's like it's not its existence isn't harming you. And I feel like with a lot of the Marvel stuff that people just are like actively trying. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just the expectation so high. Cause a lot of people are like, Oh, since Endgame, the movies haven't been any, I don't know. I mean, I've been entertained and it's, I, I don't feel like I'm disillusioned or anything like that. You know, I, I'm a big fan of the characters and everything like that. And I love seeing the live action adaptations and, and no, the stories aren't exactly as I would want them to portray, you know, or this or that I'd rather go here, but I'm, I'm, I'm digging it. It just seems I don't know if it's because people just like want to try to knock them down a peg because they're they're up so high and you know the Marvel movies do so well so it's it's like oh let's let's just try to you know put them down I don't know it's just I'm so happy that we're still getting these movies and and you know I because I remember when we hardly had any you know comic book movies and the ones that we had weren't that good so I don't, I don't know. Speaking of I, whether I don't know how good this is going to be, Haunted Mansion trailer. I really don't know what to expect from this, but it it looks like it, it could be okay. It looks like it could be fun. So you know Rosario Dawson, Danny DeVito, uh, Owen Wilson, uh, Tiffany Haddish, isn't it? So yeah, I mean I, I'll probably see it July 29th. You know unless I I don't know I don't think I'll be doing anything else around then. So see, then they got a concert that I think that's a Taylor Swift concert, maybe. So I don't know. Lord of the Rings, Amazon Prime commented. I, I, so apparently, the show. I know it was getting a second season. Are they like locked in for five seasons? I'm like, holy crap! I maybe I should go back and finish the first season because. <laughs> but they they were commenting about they're not really worried about the Warner brothers news. And the fact that Warner brothers is trying to do, you know, wants to do more movies or explores more things. They feel like that there's room for both of them. Apparently there may be some overlap with some at, at some point, but they have the TV rights. Warner brother has the movie rights. So this, it's like, why not have more? They don't think that it's going to be like too much Lord of the Rings. And they're like, well, we'll see, you know, if, if it starts to get too much for people, then, you know, they'll, they'll show it with their money or views or whatever. But We'll see. But some people are also commenting how with Warner Brothers, it, it, it looks like an act of desperation. I don't know. I mean, if that's necessarily the case, but some people are commenting about Warner Brothers trying to do Lord of the Rings and maybe trying to go back to Harry Potter, that it's just them like grasping at straws. Maybe, but I think it's also giving people what they want. I don't know. But they're also saying like after the Hobbit movies, like people weren't necessarily asking for more. Who knows? But again, it's just people, you know, trying to criticize whatever they, they can, I guess. Venom 2 <laughs> apparently almost featured more of Tom Holland's Spider-Man. It's like, all right. I don't really know. Like, I'm, I was trying to think about this. I, I, I guess I've never really, like, figured out, like, what was the whole point of that? And the only thing, I, I guess, the point of, like, some of the symbiote being left behind was potentially for Tom Holland to get infected by the symbiote. Is that the whole reason? Because that just seems like Eddie, you know, crossing over into the 616 and then going back again. It's like, what was the point of that? And then, I don't know. I don't even want to talk about it. 
So we have all that. I, the other thing I don't really want to talk about is Super Mario Brothers. It's moving up two days. So instead of April 7th, it's coming out on April 5th. So it's going to be out on Wednesday. Okay. And I think it's like April 28th in Japan. So, all right. Doug Bradley, he was a pinhead, a Hellraiser. He is going to be Joe Chill in Gotham Knights. Oh, I don't know if I can watch that show. Um, I'll try to watch it and just, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to cover it like week by week, but, but anyways, Joe Chill apparently is going to be in episode six. Spoilers. <laughs> it's like very specific news there. Um, Isabella Marced. At first I was like, who's that? So she's been added to the alien movie. I'm like, wait, who's that? That name sounds kind of familiar. That's Dora the Explorer. And she was also in Father of the Bride, which when I saw Father of the Bride, the, the remake movie, and then I was like, oh, that's Dora. And yeah, so she's going to be in it. As far as like w- what her character is or even like the direction movie, I don't think there's been a lot that's been mentioned about that. So, you know, it's just a wait and see type of thing. And the other thing that's not really clear, I think at, at some point it was, it was it was thought that the movie was going to be out on Hulu, like a Hulu original, kind of like how Hellraiser was. But Maybe it's going to be in theaters. Nothing's really been confirmed, I guess. So I guess, again, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Hellboy, so the crooked man, Jack Kessie has been cast as Hellboy. So he was Black Tom Cassidy in in uh, Deadpool 2. So, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm all right with that. And um, I'm trying to think. I feel like there is something else, some other news but uh, I guess the last thing we'll go with is Chris Pine. Chris Pine is is talking about he's he's kind of frustrated with how Star Trek Four is like with the the state of it because he you know he's like I have no idea what's going on and you know he's talking he's mentioned like scripts become available and like costume designers get like a copy of the script or something like that and he doesn't see anything. And he's like, well, I guess that's just the way it goes. And, you know, he feels like he can't really complain because, but he is complaining. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I totally would get how it would be frustrating. But it's, it's you know, some of it's going to be on a need-to-know basis. And and not that the actors can't be trusted, but, you know, there's been times where actors have dropped the ball. But there's also been times, you know, when especially when the production is, like, all over the place. Like, what happens if if... if Chris Pine has to drop out. Then he's had a look at that script. Not that he's going to go out and blab it or anything like that. But I think the one they're looking at is like, okay, here's a costume designer. They're they're definitely committed to this. You know, they're working on it. So you know, we want to. And are I don't know. Are they given the full script, or are they just given like ideas? Like, okay, at one point we're going to go on this planet, so we need this type of of costume. So you know, start thinking of some ideas for that. And then they're going to be. I I don't know, but. It just it's it's a weird thing, I guess. You know, just you sign on for a movie and you're not told. I, I can't imagine what that would be like. You know, having a job like that where it's like I need some answers and it's like what the heck is going on? Yeah, he you know he has every right to be frustrated. It's just it's just crazy, and I have no idea what's what, what's going on with, with Star Trek, and uh, I can't get excited for these movies because just because of that, where it's just like seems like. I don't actually, you know, I don't even know if I've seen a third one. Maybe I should I see the third one? I think I saw the second one. I don't know. So I don't know what to think, but what I do know, <laughs> segue, that's going to be the news for the week. All right, with comics this week at Image, we had I Hate This Place number six. So it was interesting. Um, I, I, I enjoyed the, the first five issues, and I didn't even think about like 
because I, I I knew like when it ended this or the last the first story arc ended, you know there was going to be more, and I didn't really think about it. So it, it's back, which is cool because I, 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 there's something about it. You know, I I can't say it's like my favorite comic of all time, but I am like deeply interested. And in just the fact that you know we have these this, these two women, they you know one of them in, inherited this farm. The farm is like haunted. You know, there's like these ghosts that come out at night, these weird things. And you know, then there's like other stuff that is has gone on, but what's what's cool about this one is is uh, you know, so one of the women, you know, kind of not necessarily like a commando, but you know, she's definitely she's she's a badass and you know, weapons expert and and you know, she's got like survival skills and, and stuff like that. So we actually find out about her past, like how she grew up and um, and some stuff, and then it's I don't want to go too much away, but it's kind of like her past is coming back to haunt her. So like where she grew up like her with her dad and her family and it was a it's it like a like a religious cult i guess you, you can maybe say so um, that just it makes things kind of messy so i'm definitely intrigued with, with with that um then there's phantom road number one this is by jeff lemire and gabriel hernandez walta it's a great great creative team here this issue, like, I don't didn't know what to expect from this. So it says, Dom is a long-haul truck driver attempting to s- stay ahead of his tragic past when he stops one night to assist Birdie, who has been in a massive car crash. They pull an artifact from the wreckage that throws their lives into fifth gear. Suddenly, a typical midnight run has become a frantic journey through a surreal world where Dom and Birdie find themselves a quarry of strange and impossible monsters. It's grindhouse horror meets a high-concept supernatural fantasy. In the first issue, a bold new miniseries from Jeff Lemire, Gabriel Hernandez-Walta. So, yeah, it's... it's it's what I like about it is you know you kind of have the you know you you see this like truck driver and you get a feel for who he is and stuff like that and and you know because it's like no this is just like a regular person it's you know it's not like a superhero and and everything like that and you're seeing like bits of his life and and then uh, he, you know he comes across this accident and he, he does the right thing and try to help and but then there's like someone like standing out in the field it's like what is that is that a monster it's, so it's it's kind of kind of like one of those moments like the awkward like what the heck is going on and you feel a little uncomfortable it's like wait where is this going and so uh it's it's definitely interesting and i i'm you know i'm i'm sold and i'm I'm hooked can't wait to see what's going to happen next then there's radiant black uh 22 so in radiant black nathan you know he was going to be a writer he he left los angeles he goes back then we we see it, it's it's this is another thing where it's it's own prospects and you know the stuff being sold you know the way Hollywood kind of works and everything like that and he, yeah so this this issue doesn't focus so much on the the radiant stuff like the the alien weapons and everything you know the stuff that's, that's coming down but you, you get a little more of the backstory there which was it was kind of cool to to, to see that um, so I, I really like how, you know how Kyle Higgins laid that out and everything like that so so that that was was cool to see and you know because it. It is important for us, you know, to know who these characters are and care about them. And you know, even though we we got you know a lot of this inform you know information before, like how they're you know he was trying to work and and stuff like that. So some some cool stuff. At DC, we had Star Girl: The Lost Children, issue four. Man, I there's something about this series. I I don't know what it is. I love it so much, and maybe it's because you know it's Jeff Johns and it's Todd Knox, like two of my favorite creators. And Stargirl, you know, she's just such a, 
I don't necessarily want to say a wholesome character, but she's like such a good character. And I don't know a whole lot about Stargirl from the comics. I was like, I, I don't feel like I've read like a ton of, of comics with her. You know, I just, I saw some of the, read some of the justice society comics, but the TV show, you know, I was a big fan of the show. You know, it was sad that it ended. So there's like all these kids. And what's weird is, so all these like golden age heroes it's like they had all these kids, but it's like, wait, what is going on? How is this possible and everything? And, and why are they all stuck here and things? So basically, because I'm not like a golden age expert, you know, when I'm seeing this, I'm like, wait, is this being, are they making this stuff? Are they making up these characters and saying that these golden age characters had all these relations? Because they even did like, like who's who's entry, like the, uh, the handbook stuff. So there's like all these characters and backstories. And it's just like, holy crap. This is like, this is very in depth. It's like, how much is this is true and how much is the idea is that you know these kids were all kidnapped and taken out of time and then the world is kind of forgotten about them so to me that that's kind of like mind-boggling just you know like the fact that jay garrick has a daughter because when there's mention of it i was like did he have a daughter and i just didn't know that because you know there's there's so many speedsters you know it's hard to keep keep track of them but the idea is, is maybe they just don't know. And, you know, so you have these other kids and what are they going to do? Because, you know, their parents, if, if they've been pulled out of time and been held captive, when they, if, if they can get out, they're not going to, where are they going to go? Because their parents are probably long gone if, if they're even still alive. And then uh, the person that took all these kids, she's actually has, she's going to sell the kid or, you know, there's someone who, a buyer or someone interested in them we do f see who it is and it's a it's like kind of like what the heck is going on it's it's some it's someone we know and it's like why are they doing this this does not seem right so crazy stuff there sandman universe dead boy detectives issue three i i've been enjoying this this series i didn't like this i don't know if maybe just when i read this that i wasn't giving it a hundred percent my full attention because things started getting a little, little, not necessarily convoluted or everything, but it's like, wait, what's going on here? And then by the end of it, I was just like, okay. Uh, but I, I did, I was enjoying it, but I don't know. I, I, I think I blame myself for, for faulting on, on that one. Blue Beetle graduation day issue four. I kind of ended up skimming through this. Um, I, I didn't read this one. I, 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 I don't know. I, I'm starting to, to lose interest in this. One, it feels weird, you know, because it's almost like Blue Beetle was like pushed back a little bit, you know, because then he's still, I guess, you know, he's probably been in high school. So, I, yeah, I, I, I can't quite put my finger on it. Like, what's what's the, the problem I'm having with, with this? Um, Human Target issue 12, this is the final issue. So the big question is, is is human target going to die or not? You know, he's poisoned. He had, I think, eleven days to live, and you know, he wanted to figure out like what the deal was, and uh, you know, he's getting towards the end. Are they going to pull some way to save him? Are they going to actually kill him? Would they do that? So you have to see and find out. So it was it was good overall, and you know, human target is not my favorite character at all. I I really don't care one way or the other about him, but the artwork, man, you know, Greg Smallwood's art is just. Uh, it's just blows me away. I mean, it's just so good. And I don't even know how to describe it, but it made me care about this. And, and even ha having ice in here, you know, fire and ice from justice league international, whatever. I don't really care so much about ice, but just so like her, the way she's portrayed here, I don't know 
if if it's like a huge departure from what she normally was or this is just like down her alley like what she normally does but it was it was definitely a, a you know interesting story tim drake robin <laughs> six i just i can't get past the art it's just it's so distracting and i don't know what it is because you know i really like riley rosmo's art i like his style and i would love that you know i, I say this all the time i'd love to have like my own style like that that i could just embrace but for me the biggest problem is the hair and and kind of the way like the legs work because like a lot of times like robin almost looks like like he's a, a kid you know he's got these little legs skinny legs and is his hair because it, it's just it's weird because when you look at all and i i know i've probably said this like you know for for the past five months or whatever but you look at all the variant covers and Tim Drake always has kind of like spiky you know messy whatever hair is it's a kind of all over the place but the way he's drawn it's like he's bald and then just has like some, you know, like very, very short hair. You know, there, there's no, it's just whatever head shaped with some black color on there. And it's just, it just, I don't know. It, and then we have this villain who wants to be like Robin's nemesis. He wants to be his Joker. And uh, I don't know. Let's see. Joker year one. I didn't read that. Uh, Shazam Fury to God special Shazamly Matters. I started reading this. This is like a, I think it's a hundred page issue or 70 page issue. There's several different stories in here. What makes this interesting is the stories are written or co-written by some actors from the movie, you know, who played it, the different members of the family. So you have that. This is more like in tune with the movie. Cause I'm, I'm really enjoying the comics, you know, the Mary Marvel stuff. And I'm, you know, can't wait to see you know, where it's going, you know, but this is more like movie stuff. It was okay. You know, I, I stopped. I didn't read it all because I'm just like, eh, you know, I, I got other stuff to read and do. So I, I, I didn't read all that. Detective Comics 1069 came out and I'm, I'm we're st even though it's like kind of like a new story, but it's still, it's like a new chapter, but in the same story. And I'm just, I, I'm having, I, I'm, I'm so, I don't know what it is because this is like the first time that I haven't been able to get into like a Batman story. And I think part of it is because of the stuff from the past and the connections and Gotham and these people do they really own Gotham? And I don't know, um, Batman versus Robin issue five. So this is kind of wrapping up the, all the, all the Lazarus stuff and, you know, drawing it, putting that to conclusion. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I feel like I'm just being so negative this week or whatever, maybe just lately. You know, we had this whole Lazarus reign and resin, and it's. I'm. I'm trying to. I guess really like wrap my mind. Like, what was the point of this? You know, what what what's the whole idea? Because you know, we had all this stuff exposed and you know um, unleashed upon the world, and then you know people kind of gaining powers from it. So I, I'm, I'm assuming that's kind of like the the purpose behind it is try to set this up so we can you know create new characters, which. I'm not, you know, knocking that or whatever, because, you know, why, why not try to make new characters and new books and new series, you know, because you got to try to build up your universe and all that. But I don't know, there's just something, I, I guess it, it's weird because, you know, we the, the fact that there's like so much Lazarus stuff unleashed from whatever, because for a while there there was like, it's like, oh no, you know, there, there's not that many Lazarus pits left. Or how, you know, it seems like people are using it so often when it used to be like, well, using it is like a huge gamble. You know, you don't want to do it because there's a chance that you're going to be, you know, bat poop insane when you come out. But now it's just like, okay, yeah, we're going to use this because like, 
um, there's a, at least two members of the Bat family that have used it just like in the last couple months. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> and then um, Action Comics 1052. So uh, well, first of all, the backup story it was like Supergirl and Power Girl. I, I'm I'm thankful for it, but it was just kind of weird, just like the tension between you know Power Girl because I guess you know she's 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 feeling ignored and everything like that. So there's a just some some weird stuff there, and it's a, how she's recently like developed these like te- telepathic powers. I don't know when that first happened, but I, I it, it's been mentioned before this. I know I know that it's that's just kind of a weird thing, but I I'd, I'd love to see more, and I I feel like. It would be nice to see her included with the Superman family more because it was like, you know, she should be. So uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, the second story was a, a Jonathan Kent story. A little, so I, I like that one. Um, the main story, I don't know why I'm going backwards, but is, is more about like the attack with the uh, um, Metallo and, you know, just them recovering and, and everything. So. It was a it was it was a fine issue. Um, I I enjoyed it, and um, yeah. So I, I guess there's that. At Marvel, Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty. I was enjoying the series. <laughs> See, it might it might just like not liking comics anymore. I I think my my issue with this is just like again the, the whole it's just like all this like telepathy stuff. So you have this Modoc with a C, uh, mental organism designed only for control how he's manipulating everyone you know with with this mind control but also the fact that like they got emma frost and i think it's the cuckoos some of the cuckoos with her but they kind of like gave him a clean bill of health and everything like that but it's like oh no he's still manipulating things so it's just a lot of him like trying to mentally torture these you know to keep the heroes down and so we see like the this horrible stuff memories that are being forced upon them and then you know can they overcome it or not so it's, it's just i don't know it, it i didn't really dig it ghost rider cosmic ghost rider issue one i feel like i might have missed something here because it, it starts off where cosmic so cosmic ghost rider i'm sure you you're aware is frank castle it starts off where he's depowered he's normal and he's just like living in these people's like you know spare rooms like that then someone kind of comes gunning for him for the cosmic ghost rider and he's like that's not me anymore or whatever and you know things get a little messy then it's almost like wait is there another did somehow frank castle and cosmic ghost rider get split because i i don't really understand what's going on but i guess we'll find out hollows eve issue one (laughs) I'm not sure why I read this. Um, I'm not really a fan of the character. I'm definitely not a fan of Dark Web, which I'm, I, maybe I'll talk about that next week and other things on a secret podcast. So we're seeing like what what she's up to, and so she, you know she got this, these magic masks from Madeline Pryor. So she puts on these masks, and it kind of gives her like a different superpower. Uh, is that just something that is sitting around limbo that she could just do that? I don't know, and. Um, then to make things worse, the lady in chi- charge of the Beyond Corporation. So uh, Janine, she goes to a bank. She goes has to rob a bank. She's like trying to get something, and you know she works. She uses like a ghost mask to get into the vault, and then you know she's in there stealing some stuff. A guard detects her, so she puts on this other mask, a werewolf mask. 
then she has to, you know, escape out of there. So when, when the news reports come, you know, oh, there's been a break-in, it was a werewolf or whatever like that, somehow Janine gets word of this and she's like, I need to know who that is. Who is this, you know, where did this, what kind of powers they get? Where did they get the power from? And But it's like, are you really that interested or care about anything? It just seems just kind of weird. And she's just annoying. So I, that was, I, blah. I am Iron Man issue one. This was this was a weird issue because it's like it's stuff in the future, in the past, and uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Murder World, um, game over issue one. This was a weird series because there's been what one, two, three, four, five series, but they've all been like one shots with different like subtitles, so kind of confusing. They'll be collected in trade, I'm sure, to be a lot easier. So yeah, so it does kind of put an end to the story arc and uh it but it also leaves it open for like a continuation so considering the fact that i cannot stand arcade i i found this story kind of interesting i don't get the purpose of having each issue with a, a different like superhero themed when it they're not even in the issue there's like lmds or something like that i feel like that was a little little cheap and it's just pointless, but whatever. So it, it was fine. Rogan Gambit number one. This was all right. Uh, you know, I, I love the characters, but I hate to say it. You know, since they've got married, I don't know. It feels like there hasn't been anything really super compelling, like any stories told. So here they're together and, you know, they have to uh, mystique, not mystique. Um, oh, what's, what's her name? What's the Irene? Destiny. <laughs> I had to think about it for a second. So Destiny comes to them and, and she's like, I need you to get this certain, um, I won't mention who, I don't know if it's in a, uh, is it in a synopsis, but you need to get this certain, you know, person to help us and, and we need to do this. And, but she won't tell Rogue why. And it's also funny because she's like, she's insulting the Gambit. You know, she doesn't care for Gambit. It was, it was an all right first issue. I mean, we'll see where it's going to go. Spider-Gwen, Shadow Clones. I love Spider-Gwen, but I feel like I haven't, there hasn't been like a series that has blown my socks off lately because the, the the previous one with all the, the Gwen variants, my issue with that is, is like, why would there be like a multiverse? Why would there be a universe or alternate dimension where Gwen Stacy became a Captain America or became a Hulk or became Iron Man or whatever? It just seems... I don't know, silly? Yeah, it's comics. But this one, so obviously, as the title says, they're going clone route. What The only thing that held me is because there's elements enough of Gwen and her personal life or her just her, her, her life, her story, that's mixed in with this other stuff. So it, it was, it was I definitely like, it's, I enjoyed it way more than the last series. Spider-Man issue six. So this is part of the end of the Spider-Verse stuff. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I guess I'm interested in where it's going to go, but I'm just, the whole thing with more, more loon and then with the spider totems and I don't know. It's it's just, it's not appealing to me. I, I, I guess I've just had enough of it because I feel like we've had so many different stories, but I don't know. Then there's Star Wars issue 32. So this, um, the Star Wars characters have been, they're, they're stranded and they're trying to see can they get out of this like no space area and um 
So it was okay. Star Wars, Han Solo, and Chewbacca. This uh, wraps up the storyline. And it, I, I feel like this started out really, really cool in the beginning. And it just, for me, it just kind of started fizzling out. So I, I guess the whole like, thing is like, oh, here's Han Solo's dad. It's like, what? Is it, how can that be? And then there's Star Wars um, Hidden Empire. This is uh, with Quora and, uh, or Quira, Quira, and a Crimson Dawn, and trying, kind of trying to go up against Darth Vader. That's, uh, okay. And then um, I didn't read Venom. I don't even think I flipped through it. And then X-Force, I, I just kind of skimmed through this one. <laughs> that was it. And I think that that's all I read this week. I don't know if there's anything else. I, but, yeah, let's just say it. That's going to be – that's that's it. Did I skip a bunch of stuff? I, f- I feel like that was just, like, way too short. Maybe there just wasn't a lot of comics this week. But whatever. I, I'm going to call it. That's going to be comics for the week. All right. With Servant, Season 4, Episode 7, Myth. <laughs> this one – I was getting a little anxious while watching this because, we're you know, we're, we're kind of getting some – some revelations but then it's like wait are we and it's just like wait what does all this mean is is this what because just like last week i was like you know are we gonna get some answers you know like how the heck is this happening how's leanne doing all this stuff what does this mean so it starts off julian and leanne are sleeping then julian gets up he like looks out the window there's people standing in the street by the hole out, out on the, you know the, the big hole that happened there then he hears someone in the hall and Sean goes, he, he, I'm pretty sure it was like Sean goes into the office. So like Julian's like listening outside the door and then he hears him coming. So he like ducks in the, the, the doorway to the attic. Uh, and then, you know, Sean like leaves and Julian goes in there. He's just kind of like looking around or whatever. Then he sees like this big religious book on a table. And it, I, I forgot what the title was, but he like flips through some pages. There's like fall from grace and there's like Lucifer, you know, all this stuff like that. And he just closes it. Next day. Dorothy calls this dude from the station, whatever, wanting him to, to confirm a girl's last name from the clip that she sent. So the the video where the the, the girl pageant, you know, it was at Leanne as a little kid. Obviously, it was. So she mentions the interview, and you know they must have signed a, a release or something like that. So as and as she's watching, she watches this other clip, and in the background, like you can see this mother like talking to a girl. So was, I don't know if that was Leanne or just someone else. And then you know she just like roughly grabs her by the arm to make her stand. And you know this is like the stuff that that Julian had mentioned how you know her mom was just you know kind of mean and everything like that. Then the dude comes back like, on the phone. He's like, oh, he's like, I'm sorry. He's like, she, she must not have signed a form, or maybe she used a different name. So Dorothy's kind of bummed at that. So then uh, Leanne puts on a record, and Julian is, like, brushing his teeth in the bathroom. He's like, don't you ever put on anything else? Because I, I don't know if it's just the same song or whatever. I forgot who it was. And she's like, oh, dance with me. He's like, oh, no. He's like, I'm no good sober. And she's like, that's okay. I'll lead. So they're, they're kind of dancing in her, in her room. And she, he's like, we have to talk about what happened at the party. And she's like, no, we don't. And he's like, people keep getting hurt in, in this house. And she's like, relax. You're safe when you're with me. He's like, what does that even mean? He's like, I need you to tell me that I'm not alone in this. He's like, tell me you see how fudged up things have gotten. And she's like, Julian, shut up. And she starts kissing him. But then he like pulls away. He's like, fudge. He's like, you bit me. And she's like, you talk too much. And he just like stares at her. So then we see, we see like Sean's cooking show. Sean's actually watching like clips online. You know, Jericho's playing. Uh, Sean is just being cruel. He's like yelling to people, you know, because they're, they're cooking. He's just, you know, storing his stuff on the floor and stuff like that. And he tells Jericho, he's like, daddy's gone viral. 
So I guess, you know, someone's sharing his clip or whatever. Julian comes in, he like slams down the book and Sean's like, what's this? And Julian's like, you know, he's like, what is this bedside reading? He's like, you're doing some research. And Sean whispers, we need to talk about this, but not here. So then they're in the cellar and, you know, he's like, Leanne's a common factor. When she's angry, things go bad. When she's happy, things go well, inexplicably well. He's like, and it all remains intact as long as we stay loyal to her. The infestation, the house falling apart, Dorothy's accident, Jericho. He's like, I've been searching, and there's this term for something like that, the Faustian bargain. And Julian's like, that's crazy. He's like, you, you sound insane. And Sean's like, you thought you found Leanne's headstone, right? He's like, we thought that that was Leanne playing a trick on us. But what if it wasn't? What if she died? What if she came back as something? And he's like, the cult believes that they're servants of God. And, and he's like, exactly. You know, Leanne abandoned her ways when she left. He turns a page. And he's like, the fallen angel. Julian's about to say something, but then he like, he's coughs. He's been kind of coughing a little bit. Keeps coughing. And Sean's like, what's wrong? He's like, what, you can't talk? And Julian types in his phone. He's like, did Leanne do this? Because you know, she did say that he talks too much, so did she do something to make him not be able to talk? Dorothy, meanwhile, is going down in her, her chair lifting. Leanne's like at, by the door, and she sternly says, she's like, what are you doing down here? And Dorothy's like, well, I needed a change of scenery. And then Leanne's like, well, you should have called for me. And she goes over, helps her, like kind of like, you know, lifts her, not really lifts her, but, you know, put, Dorothy puts her arms around her to, to switch to her, her wheelchair. It's still painful. And then she, Dorothy's like, you taking Jericho for his walk? And Leanne's like, yeah. Dorothy's like, I wish I could come. And she's like, Leanne's like, will you be okay here? And she's like, yeah. She's like, uh, I'm working on a story, actually. Leanne's like, can I help? Dorothy like pauses for a split second. And she's like, no. She's like, I don't have a lead yet. It, it's like finding a needle in a haystack. Leanne's like, that's a funny expression. She's like, doesn't seem like, like a hard thing to do. I think it would be. She's like, you'll crack it, though. It's like, Dorothy Turner always does. So then Sean's like, he's talking to the Julian. He's like, you think silver bullets would stop her? I mean, worst case, Julian writes werewolf. He's like, yeah, okay. He's like, well, what about garlic? Julian writes something is probably, you know, vampire. Then Sean's like, maybe water's her weakness. He's like, I've never seen her bathe. Have you? And Julian just like takes a drink of his wine. He's like, yeah, okay, right. He's like, cheers, brother. Then behind him on the other side of like some wine, you're like, hey, hey. And then they're like, Roscoe, what the hell? How long have you been standing there? So Roscoe like somehow got in there. He's like, oh, I'm sorry to show up like this. And Julian writes on his pad. He's like, WTF, bro. And Roscoe's like, there's someone here to see you, someone who can answer all your questions. So they go to the other apartment where Bev and Bobby were. And then Sean's like, George. And, you know, George is sitting in there. So George is like, Uncle George is like, you know, working with the, the cult. Julian writes, he's like, this dude in his makeovers, because every time he always looks different, you know, there's time he looked homeless, and, not, you know, now he's just normally dressed, but, you know, it's not with a, a worn-up suit and everything. So he's like, hello, Sean. Hello, Julian. And Roscoe um, says that he asked him to wait outside, so he goes outside the door. Sean's like, how'd you get in here? He's like, I locked this place. He's, and George's like, there are far more pertinent things to discuss. Today is a very important day for today is the day i confess it's time i told you the truth about leanne grayson so it's like uh-oh is this it dorothy's like uh digging in the past and she's talking to the guy on the phone while looking at like some files online so there's like the grayson fire uh in wisconsin it kills three the body of the daughter leanne grayson was never recovered so she was presumed dead and she was eight at the time then she asked the, the guy on the phone she's like do we know how the fire started he's like nope 
George says he owes Sean's family a great apology. And Sean's like, no, it's, it's us who should be apologizing. He's like, you tried to tell us what she was, but we didn't believe you. And then George says that he made the recent decision to leave the Church of the Lesser Saints. It's like, wow, really? He's like, I am to right my wrongs. What we have done to your family is the most egregious of wrong of those wrongs. You have been lied to, fooled like the rest of us. I tried to hang myself once long ago. I was a very sad man. I awoke in a hospital with a woman staring at me. Her name was May Markham. And she told me that I had died and been reborn a servant of God. I had nothing else to live for, so I chose to adopt the faith. From there, we began our journey as aunt and uncle, bringing others into the gospel. We were great at it. Then he's like, you know, Leanne's family died in a fire when she was a young girl. Her mother had been very cruel to her, and so she felt the death had been, in great part, her fault. She was a perfect candidate. And I told her what I had once been told, that she had died in that fire and come back as a servant of the Lord. But we miscalculated how broken she was. She quickly became the most vivid believer in these extraordinary things. And when she left us, Leanne began to believe she was becoming something else. So he's basically saying that this isn't real. But it's like, wait, how do you explain everything? So then it cuts to her standing in a park with the others, and she, you know, she's wearing a red jacket, and she turns out, she's like, she has a big, wicked grin. So Julian writes on a pad of paper, he's like, Satan 2.0? And George says, he's like, that's not the truth. You see, the beliefs of the church have always been an illusion. Leanne is a confused, deranged, and completely ordinary girl. And Sean's like, what? And George's like, nothing more. And Sean's like, that's BS. He's like, we've seen too much. Yesterday at Jericho's birthday, the animals went insane. A woman nearly died. The way her face looked, I've never seen anything like it. He's like, how do you explain that? George is like, I visited Beverly Alcott in the hospital this morning as part of my amends. She'd suffer a snake bite, but is well on her way to a full recovery. Which is like, that's BS. And Sean's like, what? And George's like, the venom of a Peruvian Bothrop's can cause spontaneous swelling, discoloration of the face and limbs. Then there's a flashback of a snake crawling in the confusion when all the animals were like escaping where the simplest solution is almost always the right one. So Dorothy on the phone, she asked, she's like, what do we know about the mother? So the dude looks at records. He's like, looks like she had trouble with liquor. There's a DUI in 2005, pretty bad crash. Dorothy's like, oh, she's like, okay. She's like, well, maybe there's something there. She's like, what are some of the dates? Like birth date, date of incarceration, date of death, anything. She's like, there's got to be something. Maybe there's something, you know, with the mother. Sean says that to George, when Leanne first arrived, he lost his ability to feel and taste when she was angry with him. And George says, he's like, taste and feeling can be lost temporarily during a common cold or in the presence of certain drugs. It is possible she was putting something in your food to make you believe you're being punished. He's like, I kept finding splinters everywhere, like the house was attacking me. And he's like, it's one of Leanne's favorite tricks. It was not uncommon when I disciplined her as a child to find a shard of wood or a sliver of glass in my chair the next day. So it's like, okay, these explanations, it's almost like it's too easy. So is this really the case? Because uh, the alternative is that Leanne's like this superpowered, you know, whatever mystical is like, is that, could that be possible? Then so we see Leanne pull back the sheets on like Sean's bed or something like that and like sprinkle like some, some slivers in there and then put the covers back. So it's like, maybe that is what happened. Then Julian writes the doll and Sean's like, whenever Leanne leaves the house, Jericho turns back into a doll. We've searched every inch of this place. There is nowhere that she could be hiding him. He's like that I'm sure of. 
And George is like, these old houses always have secrets. Yours has more than most. So there's a flashback to Julian banging on a pot with a wooden spoon, yelling, baby, wake up, little baby. So then we see Leanne carrying Jericho into the downstairs apartment where they're at. She opens this grate, like under the, like the landing of the door, like in, in the living the, the living room is like kind of like half lowered or whatever. And George is like, there's a network of tunnels under these houses. They were built in the 19th century by opulent families to transport mentally ill relatives for treatment. It was a way of hiding the issues they'd rather not display to high society. Leanne has known about these tunnels since the beginning. We make it our mission to know about the secrets of a place before we enter it. So then George opens a grate. He's like, this is how Leanne brought the child into your life. How she made him disappear and reappear at will. An illusion. And they like, you know, kind of like look in this tunnel. Dorothy's dude on the phone tells her, he's like, you're a genius. He's like, the mother died two days after that fire. The date was April 17th, 2011. He's like, check out the April 17th, the following year. And, and he's like, take a good look at the reflection at the end of your tagline. So Dorothy pops in a DVD recording. It's about like cupcakes that smile back. It's like some revenge thing, putting a cup, pictures, whatever. It doesn't matter. So she pauses at the end. And you see, like, someone with this little girl. And dude's like, do you see them? He's like, now take a look at next year's tape, the same day. Roscoe's still waiting outside the apartment. So it's like, I don't know. It's like, is he listening? Can he hear them? Because, you know, the door is closed. Sean's like, no. He's like, I've seen her manipulate life and death. There was a dog and, and Dorothy's colleague on live television. Julian writes, the Marino family. And George's like, we all search for meaning in dark things. And he's like, Sean's like, what about my boy? He's like, I know he died, but that child up there, he feels like my son. We searched for missing person cases. There was none, nothing. I know that's my son. And George like pulls something out of his pocket. I don't know if it's like a clipping. He's like, the Philadelphia Inquirer published an obituary in September 2019. A woman overdosed near Fittler Square Park, an addict. Some say she was traveling with an infant, a little boy with blue eyes. But he's like, but... If he was never reported missing, how could you know? And George's like, we have people on the streets who hear these things. So Dorothy pops in the next recording. There's a report about like something in the sky, like is it UFO sightings, whatever, you know, all these people talking about aliens and stuff. And and then there's this one shot. She has actually, I think she like rewinds it and watches it again. You can see like on a sidewalk down the street, there's a little girl and a man like just standing there. So the dude on the phone, he's like, the girls visited you on the anniversary of her mother's death. She's like, that's some freaky poop. Sean's like, why would she do this to us? Why would she do this to Dorothy? And he, he's, George is like, Leanne saw Dorothy once when she was very young. Soon after she lost her mother, it became an obsession. Dorothy grabs another disc to put in. George is like, I allowed her one day each year to visit Dorothy's work in hope that it would help her grieve. She'd plan her outfits weeks in advance. So then we see there's like a stack of DVDs from 2012 to 2018 each year. George's like, but it wasn't enough to just observe. She needed to be part of Dorothy's life. So I was like, could this make sense? Again, she she you know fixated on Dorothy from that that news report. So we see Leanne walking down the street, like across the street from Dorothy, as Dorothy's like pushing Jericho in a stroller, and then watching you know on the street at night, you see Dorothy in the window, and and Leanne's just standing there looking. So George's like, your son's death was the turning point. It was her way in. And we see Leanne like walk by an alley. I believe she saw an abandoned infant as an act of God. So you just see like some feet like sticking out and there's like like a, a basket or something nearby. An opportunity to get the mother she wanted. So she took it. And we see her take the baby from, well, from you know beneath the landing in the apartment. She's like, hello, Jericho. 
then Sean, you know, it's when he hears the baby cough and the baby monitor, and he's like, what? He like whips it, you know, whips around. I hope you know, I take no pleasure in telling you all this. My apologies and my condolences. Healing is born from the truth. He's like, I hope now you can begin. And again, it's like, is Roscoe listening to all this? I, I, I mean, he can hear this. And he's like, what I have to ask of you now won't be easy, but it is the most important part of my reform. I need your help getting Leanne back. And Sean's like, that's what we all want, George, that and the baby. So, and, and, I mean, so you think about where this is all going. It's like, is this really the truth? Is it all just a big scam and coincidences? But it can't be, right? Because this is George. They're probably looking at, okay, like we failed so many times to try to get Leanne back. So now let's come up with this story and just say this is all fake. Let's try to manipulate the family and just come up, you know, cover all these bases. So George like opens the door. Roscoe's like, everything you told me was a lie? He's like, I left my family for your faith. And George is like, you played your role. I believe it is time to return to your family. The story here is nearly over, which maybe it's because the season, the show's almost over. Then he closes the door in Roscoe. Leanne's walking with Jericho. There she, she, you know, she comes in the house after her walk. In the kitchen, she finds Dorothy. And she's like, you cook all this by yourself? And Dorothy just like looks at her. She's like, would you mind setting the table? Sean and Julian walk in, you know, and Dorothy, and she's like, where have you been? And he's like, brother bonding. And Julian's voice is like feeling better now. So it's, it's like a little raspy or whatever. At the table, Julian asks Leanne what she did today. And she's like, oh, I went to the market with Jericho. And Dorothy like actually has a smile on her face. And then and she's like, Dorothy's like, Julian, what happened to your voice? He's like, allergies. And then Leanne's like, are you sure about that? And he doesn't answer because it's like Leanne. So Leanne obviously did something to him. But then, you know, he, so he doesn't answer. He just asks Dorothy. He's like, can you please pass the salt? And she's like, it doesn't need salt. This is exactly the way mom used to make it. Do you remember all those amazing dinners she would make us? My God, she loved us so much. So it's like, is she just trying to be mean now? Like rubbing it in Leanne's face that, you know, she didn't have a mom that loved her. So Leanne just, you know, tries changing the subject. She's like, Sean, how was your day? And he's like, I went viral today. And Dorothy's like, really? That's amazing. And Leanne's like, you must be so grateful. And Sean's she's just like, it happens to a lot of people. It's not really that special. And Leanne's like, that's not true. And Sean's like, actually, I'm thinking of canceling my contract. And she's like, you can't do that. And Julian's like, he can do whatever he wants. And he just like looks at her. And he's like, what? And then she just like puts her hands on, you know, pushes herself up, stands up. And she's like, you should all be very careful. And she just like walks away from the table. And Dorothy's like, isn't this nice? All of us dining together again. And you hear like the door slam upstairs. So it's like, it's just so wicked and nasty. Then we see George somewhere. He's like somewhere dark, like sitting with his eyes closed. And he whispers, he's like, forgive your humble servant for his blasphemy. I have sinned with my lies. So he's like whipping himself. Through my descent, I have put this family in great danger. But we are all in danger. It was our last hope. Please, please give them the strength to bring the fallen one back to us. Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. So obviously that means George is lying. He made up all, all that. It was all a bunch of hooey, poo-poo hooey, Leanne. Because there's no way. How do you explain? There's no way. Like the, the, the colleague that got shot 
you know, perfect timing. The the street, the earthquake when she's getting attacked, the chandelier just stopping, you know, right when she's getting attacked, you know, the earthquake and is. So I don't know. Where I just I have no idea where this is going, and I I think knowing that the show is like almost over, it's just like I'm getting more and more antsy. So there you go, we're almost there. And then with uh, The Last of Us, season one, episode seven. I can't believe we're at episode seven already. And actually, by the time you listen to this, episode eight is out. So it's like, oh, man, the show's almost over. No, the season's almost over, not the show. So episode seven, Left Behind. And so we, we see here, like, it's it's still it's winter. Because at first, I'm like, is this a flashback? Because, you know, if you saw the preview from last week, you know there's a flashback. We see it's kind of like suburbs, housing, whatever. But then you see, like, blood kind of like on the street in the snow. So... Ellie must have dragged Joel. And, and then we see the horses like in a garage or something like that. Ellie's like kind of ripping like strips or something like that. She pushes like on his wound. So he's like on the floor. He's like in pain. He's like, you need to go. And she's like, shut up. She's like, shut the fudge up. And he like roughly grabs her by, by the jacket. He's like, you need to leave. He's like, go north. Go to Tommy. And he like sh- kind of shoves her away. So his breath is shallow. And she like covers him with his jacket. And she stands up. She's like, looks at him. And as she goes upstairs, you know, she stops because I think they're in the basement or whatever. She stops at the top and then she goes out. So then um, it cuts to like All or None by Pearl Jam's playing. Ellie's wearing a Walkman. She's running around a gym with other girls. And then this bigger girl grabs the headphones. She's like, she yells. She's like, give them back. The other girl's like, then pick up the pace. She's like, I'm not running doubles again because of you. And Ellie's like, I don't want to fight about it. And the bird girl's like, she says, Ellie, she's like, you don't fight. Your friends do. And she's not here anymore, is she? Ellie just like stares at her, then lunges with a punch. Then it cuts to Ellie like sitting back in a chair. She's in an office. This Fedra dude, you know, he's got like a uniform, whatever. He comes in and sits at the desk. She had like looked at the, his picture. Like I think it was a picture of him and his daughter or wife or someone. I don't remember. So he sits at his desk. He's like, so what's going on? He's like, you've never been what I'd called well-behaved, but the last few weeks, Ellie's like, Bethany started it. And he's like, she's in an infirmary with 15 stitches. And Ellie's like, good. She's like, just put me in a fudging hole. And the dude, he's like, we put you in the hole three times. It doesn't work. He's like, I'm going to try something new. I'm going to tell you the truth. He's like, you're smart. You're smart, so smart that you're stupid. He's like, you have two paths ahead of you. The first path I think he puts like a cup down. He's like, keep acting like a grunt so you get the life of a grunt. Up at dawn, walk the streets, walk the wall you know, with this path, poop food, do poop job, take poop orders from your patrol leader, who will probably be Bethany, as the other girl. He's like, that would be your life until you catch a, a bullet from a firefly or fall off drunk off a roof or get your hair caught in a moving tank tread. And Ellie's just like, hmm. He's like, the other path, and he's like, there's like keys. He's like, you swallow that this pride of yours. You follow the rules, become an officer, get your own, you know, you get your own room too, get a nice bed, you eat well, you don't go on patrol, you're cool in the summer, warm in the winter, and best of all, when you're an officer, you get to tell the Bethany's of the world exactly where to shove it. And she's like, why do you even care? He's like, I care because no matter what anyone out there says or thinks, we're the only things holding all this together. If, if we go down, the people in the zones will starve or murder each other. He's like, there's a leader in you. And one day it could be your turn or not. He's like, so which way? And she just sits there, whatever. Then she's like, the keys, you know, to the second path. He's like, good. 
And she's like, is that it? He like sighs. He's like, that's it. So she gets up, starts walking out. Then she's like, can I have my Walkman back? He just like looks at her and he takes them out of his drawer and hands them over. So it's like, dude, were you going to steal them and keep them for yourself? Then she's in her room. It's like raining outside. Do um, you see this book? No pun intended, which is like a joke book. And there's like a otter. It's like this otter be good. It's by Will Livingston. That's a dude that I thought uh, Joel's like, you're no Will Livingston. And I was like, who the heck is Will Livingston? So it's like on her desk. Ellie's flipping through like the Savage Starlight comic. And she's like, just kind of slaps it down a nightstand. She stares at the empty bed in dark corner across from her. So it's, it's like, did her friend die or get killed or, you know, get attacked by infected. It's like, what's going on here? Dorm um, guard yells, it's lights out. Then later it's one fifty-three AM. You see like shadow in the window. Someone like opens a window, comes in. So I was like, is it Bethany to get revenge? Like what's going on? They like, quietly close the window and then they put a hand over her mouth. Ellie like kicks her, you know, the person away, pulls out her, her switchblade on the table and you're like, ow. Then she sees as her friend. And she's like, Riley, she's like, where have you been? And she's like, shh. And she's like, what the fudge is wrong with you? Sneaking up on me like that? And Riley's like, it was a joke, okay? She's like, in my mind, I thought you would love it. She's like, she's like, I guess I was wrong. So she stands up and then she's like, so how's it going? Ellie just like glares at her. She's like, I thought you were dead. She's like, you've been gone three weeks. She's like, I should stab you. And then she's like, you know, after she's like, are you okay? Riley's like, I'm fine. I just ran away for a little bit. Ellie's like, if you're going through some poop, you're supposed to, I don't know, tell your best friend about it. And Ellie's asked, she's like, where were you? Then Riley's like, wait, who gave you a black eye? She's like, give me their name and I'll fudge them up. Ellie's like, it was Bethany and I already fudged her up. She's like, where were you? So Riley turns, she hesitates. And finally she's like, I joined the Fireflies. And Ellie's like, oh, fudge you. And she's like, I'm not in the mood for this. And then Riley pulls up her shirt and she shows her like a gun in her, her waistband. She's like, you are a firefly? And she's like, Jesus, I, you know, she's like, I told you I'd fudging do it, you know, because she's like so loud. And Ellie's, as I says, she's like, talking about liberating the QZ is not the same as, and then Riley like tells her, she's like, slow down. And she's like, first, you have to promise me something, sort of crazy, and you're going to say no, but then you have to say yes. She's like, come with me for a few hours and have the best night of your life. Ellie looks at her and she's like, no. And Riley's like, now say yes. Ellie's like, I'm not going anywhere with you. It's 2 a.m. In a few hours, I have drills where I have to learn to kill fireflies. So Riley just like tosses some clothes at her and she's like, get dressed. And then Riley's like, turn around. And she's like, you're so weird about that. So they go out the window. They, they're like, see, no problem. But then a Fedra truck like drives by with a searchlight and they have like duck against the wall. Like they barely, you know, they almost get, they're like, oh, we're off to a great start. So they, they walk and then they go into the window's other building. Then they go up. The, start going stairs. She's like, how, how much, you know, how far up are we going? She's like, oh, just a couple, you know, flights. They end up going seven flights, and you know, Ellie's like out of breath and everything like that. And they're in this hallway, and they see this guy like laying in the hall, and he's dead. And they're like, whoa, they're like freaking out. And Riley like goes up close to him, and she, and because or, or actually Ellie like gets in his face, but Riley's like, he wasn't there yesterday. And there's like a bottle of booze next to him. Ellie like looks at it. It's like whiskey or something like that. She's like, that's not moonshine. It's it's like from before. He must have spent every card he had to get it. And then it seems like there's some pills next to him, you know, that he must have mixed. They're like, didn't anyone tell him it's not okay to mix, you know, these two? And one of them are like, oh, I think he knew what he was doing. And then there's like this creak and then the floor drops beneath the guy and it scares the girls. Like jump back and, and Ellie's like laughing and they both start laughing. So it's like, wait, why did the floor just like suddenly, you know, break right there? 
So then they, they go up, they go up to the roof, they take some drinks, whatever. And Ellie's like, yeah, that, that's good stuff. And Ellie asks if she can hold a gun. And Riley's like, they kind of made me swear not to let anyone handle my sidearm. And Ellie mocking, like, oh, handle your sidearm. So she finally, she's like, hand it over. So she holds it for a couple seconds. She's like, oh, it's heavy. And then Riley takes it back. And Ellie's like, why did you decide to become a firefly? And Riley says that, Ellie, did I say Ellie? Ellie asked Riley that, why did you become a firefly? And Riley's like, well, one night, you know, when you were in the hole, I got bored and I snuck out. On my way back, this chick popped out. And she's like, how old? She's like, well, like 40 or 50? I don't know. She was old. So she's like, she was impressed watching me, you know, sneak around. So she asked me what I thought about Fedra. And I, I told her the truth, that they're fascists and they should be the ones who hang. And so she said, okay. So then they, they start, like, jumping from roof to roof, you know, going across. They kind of bicker about, you know, fireflies versus the order that Fedra provides and stuff like that. So Riley's like, we've arrived. We're you know we're here, and Ellie's like, the mall. She's like, are you out of your mind? She's like, they they sealed off the mall because it's full of infected. And Riley's like, if they sealed it off, why isn't it sealed off? So they work their way in. You know, they kind of climb in and everything like that, dropping then, and they're not not very quiet about it. So because before they just before they they saw like this block, there's like lights there, and and I think. I think Riot Ellie said that those weren't there before. So there's more people moving in. So they're like new apartments and stuff, whatever. So Ellie says that, or Riley says that when they connected that section in the, you know, in the QZ, it connected the, the power to the mall too. Not that they knew, you know, knew about that. So she tells Ellie to go through this one door. She's like, turn right and then go through the door at the end of the hall. And she's like, no, she's like, just do it, whatever. So she goes in there and then She's like on the second floor of this mall, and then Riley turns the powers on. An entire mall, all the stores light up. Ellie's just like standing in awe, and then Riley comes in there. She's like, because Ellie's like, wait, aren't people going to see this? She's like, no, no one can see this, whatever. So she's going to show her like the four wonders of the mall, and then they, they start take, playing Take On Me by Aha, and then Ellie's like, no way, electric stairs? And she's like, is this one of the wonders? And she's like, okay, the five wonders. Because, you know, Ellie's, like, so impressed by the escalators or whatever like that. And she does the stuff on there. Then Ellie's like, why are some stores empty and others not? Riley says that her mom told her that when it started, people started looting and then the military had to stop it. So some stores, like, sneakers went fast, but not, like, the soap whatever place. And then they look at, like, Victoria's Secret store, lingerie. And they're just, like, looking at some of the mannequins and they comment how it looks uncomfortable. Then Riley's kind of laughing. And Ellie's like, what? She's like, I'm just imagining you wearing that. She's like, shut up. So then she makes Ellie close her eyes and she takes her hand. They like walk and then they get to this merry-go-round. There's like a merry-go-round in the mall. So then they ride it for a bit and then it stops and Riley's going to see if she can fix it. And then Ellie's like, do you really think you can liberate this place? And Riley's like, I turn 17 next month. They handed out orders and she's like, you know what Quan gave me? Sewage detail standing guard while people shovel poop that's what they think of me and ellie's like oh she's like why don't you tell me any of this and she's you know she's like i don't know she's like i panicked you know the longer that i was away the harder it was to come back ellie's says that the one thing that she missed from this place you know or she was with the one thing and she's like you know if that makes a difference and so there's more wonders to see. So they're going to go, they get to, there's this booth. She's like, is that a time machine? And she's like, maybe. So it's a photo booth and it's like insert $5. So Riley has a $5 bill, surprisingly. She sticks it in there, stops up and it tells them to do the poses. So they start like doing it, whatever. 
film comes out, it's kind of faded. You can barely see it, but you know, then Riley's like, you you can have it. Cause she's like, Oh, I like this one where, so then the next thing they they go to an arcade. So they're, they're looking at everything like that. And then, so it turned out Riley had broken the, the coin machine. Cause, cause you know, Ellie's like, Oh, if only had a, a you know, a coin or whatever. So the coin machines open, there's coins all over the floor. Now they, they start playing, they go to play mortal Kombat too. So I didn't notice it at the beginning, but in the episode, like, Ellie actually has like a Mortal Kombat 2 poster in her room. So they must have like read about it and everything. So, you know, they probably read like the strategy guys or whatever comics or who knows what. So they're like playing and everything like that, you know, and she's like, how do I play? She's like, just smash the buttons, whatever. And she's like, use a joystick too. But they're like, they're pretty loud and everything like that. And But then as they're playing, it, the camera kind of like pans out like away. And then there's like this old infected, whatever. It just kind of like awakens. So, you know, they're, they're playing whatever. And then, uh, Ellie's like, well, it's getting late. She's like, I have to get up and, and you know make my bed soon. She's like, I you know I can't get in trouble again. She's like, I can meet you tomorrow. And Riley says, she's like, well, I got you a gift. So they cut to the food court, and you know, and buy a taco. She's like, did you get me a taco? And she just like looks at her. It's like, you know, the food the taco would be like twenty years old. So they they go through this like taco, you know, food court store or whatever, whatever. And, and then Ellie sees like some blanket and stuff like that. She's like, is this where you've been staying? And she's like, oh, you know, mostly whatever. So the gift is no pun intended volume two. And Ellie's like, shut up. She's like, they made a second one. So Riley starts reading. What did the frustrated cannibal do? He threw up his hands. Ellie's like, okay, let, let me try one. She's like, what did the triangle say to the circle? You're so pointless. And then she tries another one. She's like, how does a computer get drunk? It takes screenshots. And Riley's like, softly, she's like, what are screenshots? And Ellie's like, I don't actually know. So then Riley grabs a book. She's like, what do you call an alligator in a vest? And then Ellie sees a bunch of pipes, like pipe bombs on a nearby shelf. She's like, did you make these? And Riley's like, yes, Ellie. She's like, put it down. And Ellie's like, to kill soldiers? You you didn't find this mall, did you? They posted you here, a new recruit guarding their stash. And Riley's like, we would never use them on you or anywhere even near you. She's like, I would never let them do that. And Ellie's like, you would never let them? She's like, right. And you think they're going to listen to you? And she like thrusts out her hand with the, with the bomb. She's like, I mean, I guess we'll find out. And she's like, Ellie, she's like, it's okay. I'm going. So she like leaves. Riley's like starts chasing after her and Ellie yells back. She's like, none of this poop was even about me. And she's like, Ellie, she's like, fudge you. She's like, Ellie, I'm leaving. And Ellie stops. She's like, they're sending me to a post in Atlanta QZ. I asked if you could join so we could go together, but Marlene said no. And she's like, who the fudge is Marlene? She's like, Marlene is the lady that helped me get, it, it doesn't matter. I tried. Tonight's my last night in Boston. Ellie walks up to her. She's like, why did you bring me here? And Riley's like, because I wanted to see you and, and, and I wanted to say goodbye. This isn't easy, Ellie. And she's like, actually it is. You just did it. And she kind of whispers, she's like, goodbye. And she turns and walks and she pushes over a garbage can because you know, she's so angry. She's back by the hall when they came in and then she stops and she goes back. She's like in this dark part of the mall, whatever. And she hears like screaming. She's like, Riley. So, so then she like goes into this one store where she heard the scream. It's like a spirit of Halloween store or something like that. Because then you see like the skeleton pop out of a grave and she's like, WTF and she sees Riley just like sitting on the floor next to the counter and she quietly is like surprise she's like the fifth wonder she's like so she, 
Riley thought that she would like this one best, so she saved it for last. Ellie's like, I just, I want the book. And then she puts it in her backpack. Then Ellie's like, so you leave me, I think you're dead. All of a sudden you're alive and you give me this night and now you're leaving again forever to join some cause. I don't think you even understand. She's like, tell me I'm wrong. And Riley's like, I think that you don't know everything. You don't know what it's like to have a family because, you know, she lost her as young or whatever like that to, you know, to belong. She's like, I want that again. You know, even though it wasn't that, that long of a time, but she still remembers that. She's like, maybe the fireflies aren't what I think they are, but they chose me. I matter to them. And she's like, Ellie's like, you mattered to me first. She's like, I want to punch you so bad. And Riley's like, if it makes you hate me less. And Ellie's like, and you're sure about this, about leaving? Riley's like, yeah. So Ellie's like, okay, you're my best friend and I'll miss you. Riley's like, well, night's not over yet. It's like one last thing. She's like, sure. So Riley tosses a wolf mask at, at her and she's like pulls out Ellie's Walkman and she's like, what are you doing? So she connects it. And then I got you by Etta James comes on. So she gets on the counter, starts dancing. She makes Ellie come up. She, you know, she doesn't want to do it. So Riley has this like clown mask on and then, you know, they're, they're dancing or everything like that. Then Ellie takes off her mask and Riley's like, what? Ellie's like, don't go. Okay. And then Ellie kisses her and she's like, I'm sorry. And Riley's like, for what? Ellie smiles and they, they both laugh. And Ellie's like, uh, what do we do now? And Riley's like, we're going to figure that out. And then there's like kind of like a crashing in the back. So Riley takes out her gun. She's like, get ready to run. The infected comes out. Riley shoots it like maybe like five times. She's like, go, go, go. It leaps after them, knocks Riley down. She drops the gun. She's it must be like knocked out or something like that. Then Ellie gets up. You know, it comes after her and she like stabs it like three times, like choo, 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 like in the side. And she tries running and it pulls her down again. Like this big shelving thing like falls on them. And you know, she tries crawling away and it crawls after her. She's like, get the fudge off me. Then Riley comes up, like whacks it with like a baseball bat, and then you see it hits it again. It pushes her, you know, against this like shelf, and then you know she screams. Ellie gets up, charges, stabs it in, in the side of the head, and it's just like you know falls over. And she takes her knife back, and she, then she starts laughing. She's like, "Holy spit!" And then Riley looks at her. Ellie has a a bite on her forearm, and she's like, "No, no, 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 no!" And she's like trying to like w like wipe it off. So this is when she first got bit. So then Riley raises her hand. She got bit between like the thumb and the pointer finger. So they both got bit. So then back in the present, Joel's like shivering. Ellie's like listening at the top of the stairs. So she didn't leave yet. Then she runs up. She goes in the bathroom. She's like looking through the shelves. It's like there's like nothing there. She goes downstairs, looks in the cabinet. And like it's pretty picked over. It's like almost bare, like nothing. There's this drawers like stuck and she like, gets frustrated. Then in the past, Ellie's like smashing the display case, the, the counters with a baseball bat. She's screaming and cursing. Riley's just sitting there like with tears in her eyes. And she's like, there's more stuff over there that you can break. So Ellie just like sits, next, sits down next to her. She's like, what are we going to do? Riley's like, the way I see it, we have two options. One, we take the easy way out. It's quick, painless. And she puts like the gun down. She's like, no, no, I don't like option one. And she's like, option two, we just keep going. And Ellie's like, what are you talking about, Riley? It's over. And Riley's like, it will be, but not yet. It ends this way for everyone sooner or later, right? Some of us just get there faster than others, but we don't quit. And she like takes Ellie's hand. She's like, whether it's two minutes or two days, we don't give up. She's like, I don't want to give that up. And she's like crying. She's like, we can just be all poetic and poop or lose our minds together. And Ellie's like, what's option three? 
And Riley's like, I'm sorry. He's like, I'm sorry. Ellie puts her head on her shoulder and they like hold each other and they cry. Then in the present, she yanks out the drawer. She's like looking, there's actually like needle and thread in there. So she, she, she takes it. Um, she, you know, she goes out and she takes like Joel's hand. She like, opens his shirt, like, you know, takes off the towel, whatever. And then she sticks a needle in him. He like groans in pain, whatever. And then she just like, kind of squeamishly like continues like sewing like it, but, and she's like determined. So, you know, she's like, okay, I lost Riley. She's like, I, I, there's no way I'm not going to lose Joel. So she's just, that's where it ends. It's just her like sewing. She's like, I got to save him because that's all she has. That's the end of the episode. So I'm actually surprised. I thought that there wasn't going to be any, any Joel. I thought it was going to be like pure flashback. Like, you know, what is Ellie's story? You know, what loss did she have? And you know, I guess, you know, she did, she lost her best friend and, and, you know, her best friend that she actually had a crush on. So it, it, for, it was weird because, I don't know, maybe because we didn't see, actually see Riley die or, or turn. This episode wasn't as emotional as like some of the other ones you know, with the, with whatever, you know, you know what I'm saying? So, but it, it was, it was a good episode. It was good to see Ellie, you know, before, you know, when she was at the Fedra school and, you know, what she was doing. And, you know, we see she always kind of had this, this chip on her shoulders attitude. And, you know, she was into the, the jokes and stuff like that. But so this is what I mentioned, I think it was last week, where I didn't realize that Ellie was gay. And, and again, absolutely doesn't matter. But it also, I guess it does explain why she was joking about the magazine she found in the back of the truck, the 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 nude dude magazine and then she just like threw it out like whatever so how i got spoiled by this is there was a an article about her like you know clapping back at trolls or whatever about the the bill and, and frank episode and then in this the article it mentions that oh because ellie is gay too and whatever like that and I was like, man, I didn't know that. Again, it doesn't really matter. But as soon as I saw this episode about you know when her and her friend, I was like, oh, she probably, it's not just her best friend. She probably has feelings for her. And it turned out that was the case. So I, you know, I guess it's no different than it, you know, if you played the game, you know, but I don't, haven't played the game. So that, that's just my minor gripe. So it's just, there's absolutely no reason for that to be in an article. And I, I think the article is like, oh, we'll probably see that in like episode eight or something, but like whatever. So that was uh, last week's The Last of Us. You get what I'm saying. So um, it's time. You can run out and watch this week's if you haven't already. All right. Then with The Flash, season nine, episode four, The Mask of the Red Death, part one. Uh, it's the only thing how he, what I thought of this one. I This was... So this was an okay episode. There's there's things that I like about it. I, I kind of like elements of the story, but there's also elements of the story that kind of make me roll my eyes. But I guess that's just how it goes. So it starts off like it at the evil warehouse. You see someone's like working on some tech or what's like steel work, like welding some stuff. It's Mark Chilbling, and he's working on the cosmic treadmill. So he's the one actually building it, I guess. Red Death zips in, and she asks like. Or because we know it's a she, because we know it, it's Ryan Wilder. She, you know how long until it's finished? And he makes a smart remark. He's like, "Well, you know, I'd get it done faster if you didn't keep interrupting me, whatever." But she comments about him wanting to bring his girlfriend back, and then he's like, "You know, 
I don't really care what you want it for. He's like, I'm just wondering, he's like, what are you gonna do about a power source? And then she's like, oh, let me worry about that. Cause he's like, you know, you would need a power source that would, you know, half the Eastern seaboard or, you know, something, whatever like that. So she's got something in mind. Barry and, and Iris are going over files. They're trying to figure out who the rogue's partner is. You know, who is this, who is this new speedster? Is it the new avatar, you know, the anti negative speed force, whatever avatar. And, you know, would this avatar try to kill Barry? You know, because he doesn't think so. Because when the this Red Death negated his powers, they could have killed him right there, there on the spot. So he thinks that maybe this person doesn't want to be the avatar. So he's thinking that, you know, there's at least a chance that he could bring this person back from the brink. Obviously, he's still blaming himself for Thon. And you know, then Iris mentions, you know, oh, Wild Wilder is, has been missing because, you know, Luke, she talked to Luke Fox in, in, in Gotham. He sent the coordinates of her last known location. And she's like, you know, she's a CEO of Wayne Enterprises. She goes missing. And now there's a new speedster with Wayne Tech. That can't be a coincidence, which I, I guess that could be. I mean, I don't know what, what she's trying to grasp at, you know, because obviously we know that there's a closer connection. So unless she's trying to say that maybe someone took out Ryan or is holding, you know, holding her hostage or something like that in order to get the tech, I don't. I would hope that they wouldn't try to. That Iris is trying to make the the conclusion that Ryan is the speedster. But anyways, so Barry's going to go to the Star Labs. He's going to work on something with Chester. And we see Joe. He's reading to her, uh, his daughter and his Cecile's daughter. She comes home. She's late, and then. Uh, she sees like a real estate flyer in the dining room table. She's like, what, what's this? And then he said what he said before, all that stuff like that. And she's like, yeah, we agreed that we'd talk about it. And she's like, you're already talking to a realtor? And he's like, well, I, you know, I saw the house. So it was a perfect fit for us. And it's in a school, good school district. And she's like, yeah, but it's a two-hour commute to Central City. And she's like, have you thought about you know, my job, my, my law practice? And he's like, well, you know, there's even an extra room in there. It would be good for home office. You know, we should probably like jump on it because it won't be available for long. She's like, I'm not looking at any houses until you know, we talk about what the move would mean for both of us. And then he's like, oh, yeah, yeah you're right. You know, I, I shouldn't have done that. But it's just, not, I don't really know where this story arc is going. Just like why Joe is, is so determined to move. And he, it, it comes up again. We'll, we'll talk more about this. Chester's online chatting with the Wookiee lover 77 and they're like oh can we get an update on Chalegra you know Chester and Allegra and he's like well, well it's 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 not good and he's like you know she's, she's kind of not even really talking to me and, and stuff like that then Barry comes in he's like oh I gotta go so Gideon is able to trace some like tacky and stuff so they're gonna try to like track down the speedster or something I don't know Red Death's zips out to a courtyard and people are like like they start panicking they they see someone come up they scream and run and red death's like come and get me flash so the tachyon thing works perfectly flash arrives there and he's like you know i'm just here to talk he's like you know i, I know what you're doing you're, you're trying to build a cosmic treadmill he's like if you talk to me and tell me you know where you got your powers from maybe i can help you and we can end this without more fighting he's like, i just need to know you know what you want and who you are what is it's like what does that even matter it's like is he gonna like oh you tell me who you are i'll tell you who i am so red death's like some blah blah blahs some glitter and i forget what it was but then she's like i am the last thing achilles sees before drawing his final breath i am vengeance i am the night i am the red death and then uh, this dude walks up and bears like bivolo and and i was like who who's bivolo 
I did, I did a quick search. So uh, Bivolo is Rainbow Raider or Chroma from the first season. And then his eyes glow and then Barry's eyes glow. So he's like, oh, what's the matter, Flash? Are you terrified? So he, he, the powers make, I don't even remember this guy from season one. So Barry just like crumples to the ground. I guess he's all scared and everything like that. Red Death's like, oh, it's too easy. He's like, and now let there be darkness. Red Death claps her hands and then red energy goes across the city. Power goes out everywhere. And then Chester tries calling Flash. Flash, can you hear me? Flash, are you there? And Red Death's like, now the real work begins. So we see Flash's cuff, meta dampener, obviously, chained like in a warehouse, and the other rogues are there. And they're like, oh, what should we do with them? So Murmur, like, signs, you know, like, oh, let's use them for target practice. Boomerang wants to see, um, he's like, oh, let's find out who's behind the mask. Which, it's the, the, that whole idea about this, when, when you're in a city full, like, thousands of people, you know, I don't know how many people are in Central City, you take off the mask, it's like, I have no idea who that is. It's, it's like, why why do you think just because you take someone's mask off, you're immediately going to know who it is? You know, And maybe in the case of Barry CSI, maybe to know, but he, they, they wouldn't necessarily know who he is. But then uh, Mark comes in. He's like, I wouldn't do that. He's like, unless you want to get hit with 50,000 volts from the booby trap in his cowl. And so at least even though Mark has made some bad choices, he's still kind of helping Barry out here. So Chilbling, what are you still doing with these guys? And they're like, he's doing his job. You know, he, he says he's doing his job. Working on a cosmic treadmill. And then, you know, Barry's like, or Flash is like, you know, that could damage the whole timeline, kill thousands, whatever. And then Red Death comes in and gives orders like, okay, you go keep the police busy, whatever. This shouldn't take long, you know, or should be long before his foolish teammates try to make a move and stuff like that. So Star Labs is trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, Chester says that, you know, that was the biggest EMP blast that they've, that's ever been recorded or something like that. They have no way to contact Barry now. Keown, which I'm not sure how we feel about that name. Keown suggests that they, you know, he, she's talking about the energy and how, like, things happen. Basically, like, why don't we call their opposition like that? So basically the other rogues, like, maybe they can help out. Flash is trying to talk to Red Death, says that, you know, he doesn't know who, you know, I don't know who you are, but I understand that the hate you must feel. He's like, you know, we can beat the negative speed force. And Red Death's like, you know, he's like, I know who you are. And Flash is like, what, you know, what did I do to you? Red Death says that there she is not just part of, you know, he's not just part of the plan. There's someone else that's more important, his lightning rod. And he's like, Iris. Iris is at home. Uh, you know, at their apartment, and there's a knock on the door, and right away she's like, "Hello, who's there?" <laughs> but it's like so weird the way she's just like, like automatically start panicking. Someone's like, "Iris West Allen." She looks in the peephole, and it's it's Ryan Wilder, and so it's like, wait, Red Death is with Barry, so her arms kind of cut up or something like that, and then you know, Iris bandages up her arm. She said something. She was like crossing the bridge out of Gotham or something like that. Then the wave went over her, and she mentions like a speedster in Gotham blindsided blindsided her for a few days before, you know, while she was out in patrol. And then she said, you know, it, it took her a while to drag herself back to the Batcave. And then she heard that they were looking for her, so she came to Central City. And Iris like, you got here from Gotham in a day? And she's like, my car drives really fast. So Iris seems a little. Sus- of course, Iris is suspicious, right? It's like, dear, dear Lord. <laughs> the other rogues arrive at Star Labs. Chester, you know, he, so he was doing like Morse code in a CB or something like that. And I guess Hartley heard, yeah, whatever. So Hartley has some device 
of course, <laughs> science, he has a device, this device that can detect Flash's vibrational frequency and track him anywhere on the planet. So that, that seems like a really good trick. Like, you know, if he didn't already know Flash's secret identity, it's a, so it's like who anyone could do this. They plug it in, turn it on, no signal. And then Goldface, like, you know, makes some, some smart remark or whatever. But he's like, you know, they probably did what, what any of us would do. They, they metacuffed him. It's like these metacuffs are just like way too convenient or just too available. Red Death says that, you know, whatever happens to Iris is on Barry, is on Flash. And Flash starts whining. He's like, the negative speed force is trying to pit you against me. And then Red Death laughs. Like, is that what you think I got my powers from? So then Red Death removes the helmet and there's no one inside. So Red Death's like, I'm something far more powerful. And Flash's like, you're controlling your armor remotely. It's like, why would you automatically know that? Whatever. I, I guess it makes sense. I don't know. Red Death's like, I built this armor just like I built my own speed. And he's like, I don't need any, put or she, she, it, whatever. I don't need any. I, I'm trying to be vague with the pronouns because Barry has no idea. I don't need <laughs> any pathetic negative speed force. So then like Flash is going to be the power source for what, what they need for the treadmill or something like that. Ryan is, is listening to this whole conversation. She has like an earpiece in while you know she's in with, with Ryan. Or what Ryan's listening while she's with Iris. So Iris comes in the room and Ryan says that Red Death has all the pieces for the treadmill. So, you know, any idea what's next? They're talking about the rogues working with Red Death. And then Iris is, is like, oh, well, Barry has some too. And Ryan's like, he's working with criminals? And she's like, well, they're reformed. And Ryan's like, there's no such thing. And Iris says, you know, she's like, oh, I get it. You know, your adoptive mother was killed by the Royal Flush King. And Ryan's like, yeah, well, you know, that was a long time ago. And then Iris, um, you know, she, she got up and, and she pulls something out. You know, she's by this drawer. She pulls something out. It's like this little, like, pistol or something like that. And she, like, turns around and points it at Ryan. And Ryan's like, was it something I said? Iris like, Ryan Wilder's mother was killed by the Wonderland gang. The real Ryan has never been in this house either. And, you know, here you are walking around like you own the place. You know, she like helps herself to the fridge, gets the creamer out, you know, because they're having coffee or whatever. She's like, who the hell are you? Ryan sets on her coffee mug. She's like, this is going to be hard to believe, but where I come from, we're best friends. So she's like, my name is Ryan Wilder, but where I'm, I'm from another timeline, one just like this one, except there, Flash is the world's greatest villain. And Iris like, it's you, you're Red Death. Ryan says that she's like, but you know, if I wanted you dead, I would have done something. And she's like, I couldn't just show up and tell you because then you throw me in a pipeline, which I guess is the the prison thing in at Star Labs. She's like, well, I figured that you know, if you got to know me before I dropped this bomb, that you know, you would trust me because in my world there was no Batman. The Waynes adopted me, and then they were killed in an alley. So she's like, I was Gotham's protector, and I was losing the fight. So I did what I needed to do. I re reverse engineered the tech of, you know, the villains, whatever. You know, I made my own, you know, suit and own artificial speed force from the Flash. With his powers, I can put a criminal behind bars before he even thinks about it. And then she found a way to stop crime permanently. And then Flash came after her. And then she tried to hide in the speed force, but it rejected her. It threw her out and she ended up here in this timeline. So she needs to go back because her flash is out of control. She's like, I can only imagine what he's up to now. Cecile and Joe talk. She, Cecile tells Joe that she doesn't need her empathic abilities to know that there's something that he's not telling her. You know, why the sudden rush to get out of Central City? And he says that he knows 
or that she knows that he tried really hard to raise his kids, you know, the right way. When Irish was Jenna's age, she grew up um, as a child who's like the parent was always working. You know, he was always having to go off in the forest and do on the case and whatever like that. So they have a chance to raise Jenna in a place where, you know, she doesn't have to hide in her bedroom because there's a supercharged blackout. He wants to give Jenna something that he couldn't give Iris and Wally normal childhood. So at the evil warehouse, Chilling goes up to Barry and tries to give him some water. He's like, no, thanks. Mark's like, well, you know, you're no good to us dead. And Barry's like, you don't have to do this. Mark's like, I want Frost back. And Barry's like, well, what happens when, you know, Red Death turns on the treadmill and it busts a hole in a timeline or decides it's a lot easier to kill you than bring Frost back? And Mark's like, well, if I die, I die. It's like, you know, no one would even care. He's like, you're a part of Team Flash. Mark's like, not anymore. I double-crossed you guys. And then he's like, Mark, before Frost was one of my best friends, she tried to kill me. People make mistakes. He's like, I made a mistake because of Thawne's death. And I thought there's, you know, this was a new avatar. And now people are going to have to pay for my mistake. So Ryan you know, continues to talk to Iris. She says that, you know, Iris is Flash's lightning rod so she can calm him down. And, you know, she says that they had a falling out when Flash went bad, like she and Iris. And Iris is like, you know, right there, I don't believe you. It's like, if, if you're best friends, why wouldn't, you know, she help? And Ryan's like, she can't. And she's like, you know, Flash had me dead to rights. And the only thing I could do is throw a lightning bolt. It was meant for the Flash. And Iris is like, you killed her. So Iris then starts taking her story apart. She talks about when I'm in a writer's room, you know, we, we look at different things, blah, 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 like that. She's like, you know, your thirst for vengeance and toying with your enemy's weapons. She's like, did Flash see this? And, and that's why he turned on you? And, you know, Ryan's like, you're twisting my words. And Iris is like, you want me to go to your timeline to be used as bait? And she's like, you don't want to help Flash. You want to kill him. And she's like, you're damn right I do. And she lunges. She grabs a weapon out of Iris's hand and kicks her, like knocks her down on, on the floor. And she's like, I wanted you to choose this because maybe when the dust settled, I could get my friend back. And, and she says, <laughs> I don't understand it. Because then Ryan's like, you want to get nuts? And then she calls. Her armor comes like flying at her. It comes back on. Come on. Let's get nuts. <laughs> Uh, Murmur is bringing Flash over at knife point to the, the treadmill. Red Death and Iris arrive. <laughs> and he's like, Iris, Flash. <laughs> Red Death decides it's time to reveal herself to Flash. I'm just a woman trying to get home. Now you're going to run until you can't run anymore. If you won't, she dies. Iris is like, that's not true. She needs me alive. And, but then Ryan's like, but I don't need you undamaged. <laughs> Zaps her with like red lightning. Ah! Flash like stop stop. Mark like looks down. He's like ashamed. Whatever. Flash like I'll do it. Mark de deactivates the meta cuff on on Flash. He goes to the treadmill. Starts running. <laughs> Ryan smiles. There's a red electricity like in the sky now going from. I don't know why what the connection is, but it's starting to go all over the city. Jenna comes downstairs because all the lights I guess woke her up. She looks out the window, and then electricity or like electric lightning bolt happens to hit the window at the exact moment when she stands right in front of it. So shards of glass implode. It's like about to just hit her, tear her apart, but then it like freezes. Cecile managed to stop all the pieces of glass with like her telekinetic powers and it makes them fall. And she tells Joe, she's like, grab Jenna. And then Cecile, then she's like, I just felt a big wave of fear. You know, there's like other people down the street. She's like, they need my help. And she like runs out. Hartley's device finally detected Flash 2, 
And Jack was like, well, let's go get him. And Ghostface is like, well, do you have a teleporter I don't know about? And Allegra's like, actually, I do. Ira says to Mark, she's like, you don't have to do this. And Ryan's like, yeah, he does. It, you know, it's it's too late. And she, she's like, I'm giving him the one thing that, that your team wouldn't. And Mark's like, it's never too late. Then he hits the control because he has like a, the controls on a, like a, 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 a pa- smart, like an iPad, a tablet. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> he has a controls on a tablet. So he does something to it. And then Barry, <laughs> energetic overload. Barry goes flying back. Energy hits Ryan and she screams in pain. Treadmill is just like a smoking mess now. So Mark's like, I overloaded the capacitors. So instead of turning Barry's speed into a wormhole, it shot back at her and it overwhelmed her artificial speed. So she's like kind of knocked out and the treadmill is just toast. So he's like, we need to boogie out of here. And Barry's like, what? She's like, the treadmill drained too much of my speed. It's like, I can't run. And then you hear, where do you think you're going? So the dorky rogues arrive. For some reason, it's like they all line up. They're all standing in a line. Murmur even has to like, like walk, kind of walk back to get in position. And as like Mark starts walking towards them to give Barry and Iris a chance to go, then he starts fighting them all. He's doing a pretty good job. But you know, Barry wants help. And Iris is like, you can't. And then the good rogues arrive. So they say that you know they have to go because Red Death suits recharging. They see it as like she's starting to wake up, I guess. Somehow they know how her suit works. I don't know. I don't know. Barry's like, no, we can't just leave Mark. And then they, because they, they've, they've overwhelmed him and they're about to like, just like stab him or just like totally just end him. But they're like, they teleport Barry and Iris out of there without his, you know, being able to stop him. So then at Star Labs, she's like, it isn't right. He's like, we should have left him behind. Goldface is like, what? No thanks for the save? Barry's like, this isn't how we do things. We don't leave people behind. And Hartley's like, what choice do we have? You know, w- without your speed, that psycho would have killed all of us. You know, not just Mark. Then Keon walks in. What? What about Mark? Barry's like, I'm sorry. He didn't make it out. And she's like, well, we just have to go back. And they're like, uh, he's uh, probably dead. And Goldface is like, oh, besides, why should we go back for the man who betrayed us? Iris like, he saved Barry's life. Goldface is like, he saw which way the wind was blowing, and he switched sides again. So Keon, like, she kind of defends, you know, whatever, like, whatever, that you know, even throwing away one life is worthless, blah, 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 you know, all this stuff like that. So Iris tells him that Red Death is from a different timeline. She probably hates Barry now as much as her own Flash. So Allegra then goes to Chester. He's like in his little man cave area. And he's like, I can't believe it. Mark's dead. But it's like they never actually saw a body. And she's like, yeah, I know. And then she's like, you know, I've been putting off this conversation. But after this, I don't want us to waste any time. So you know, we should talk about us. He like smiles and he's like, Allegra, um, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. But, you know, our satellites are still down and we barely have any power. And Mark... Uh, you know, maybe our timing isn't right. And she's like, oh, yeah, of course. She's like, I can't believe I brought it up. It's, it's stupid. And he's like, no, no. She's like, as soon as time's right, we got to figure all this out. Joe asks Cecile, she comes back, you know, Joe asks her if, if she's doing all right. And, you know, she just saved her daughter in the neighborhood. And she says that, you know, she kept thinking about that lightning. If it hit a few feet higher, it would have blown a hole in Jenna's bedroom. And so she's like, you know, maybe Joe's, you know, maybe you're right. And Jenna comes up, you know, she has this picture. She's like, it's mommy saving the day. She drew a picture of her mom as like a superhero. And Joe's like, that's right. She's a superhero and isn't stopping anytime soon. So you tell Jenna, it's like, okay, you know, back to bed. And, and Cecile's like, I'll be up in a moment, you know, tuck her in. And then Cecile tells Joe, she's like, I don't understand. It's like, you know, he says that they both want Jenna to be safe, 
but they also want her to know that she can be anything that she wants, just like her mama. So, you know, what would they be telling her if, you know, she just were to quit now? So it's like, here's the thing, like all, all this drama, like, oh, we're going to move, we're going to do this, and they're not going to move. I don't understand it. So um, I think that was like the end. And then Ryan's like, it's gone, all that work. He's like, my dream crushed by the Flash again. And she's like, the Flash won't let me go back to my world, so I'll take his. And this time, we'll bring the war to him. <laughs> to be continued. It's like, okay. So that was a, that was a Flash this week. And um, I, I don't know how he, I mean, like I said, it, it was fine. I think I'm okay with the red. You know, so I guess here's the thing: we 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 do have another speedster again. It's like we always. It's like they can only do speedsters with Flash. It's like they they keep going back. Yes, there are you know villains other than speedsters, but they keep going back. But at least this isn't another negative force or another speed force. So she has an artificial speed force. So you got that. But and it is good that you know for Batwoman fans. I mean, I don't know if they're happy to seeing. Ryan is a bad guy or whatever, but at least she's not just completely forgotten. So I guess there's some, some good aspects to it, but we'll see what happens in part two. Okay. Then with star Wars, the bad batch season two, episode 11 metamorphosis. So it starts, uh, there's like a, a smoking ship comes out of like hyperdrive, whatever. There's like smoke, there's spark, there's alarm. There's like someone in armor is like running through the corridors, has like this big stun baton. He's being chased by, by someone or something. Then he hears like this creature growl and it turns around it takes him out. And then we see like some doctor dude, Dr. Hemlock arrives on a planet with like some sort of cargo. He's uh, greeted by this lady in a battalion of troopers. A dude goes up to prison cell. Oh, it's been a long time, Mistress Say. So it's uh, with that one, uh, Kaminoan, <laughs> whatever. And, and she's like, indeed, Dr. Hemlock. So he says, that it's so sad to see her like this. You know, why does someone, you know, so talented prefer to rot in a cell instead of using their gifts to better, the, you know, the galaxy? And she's like, she says she's not especially motivated to continue her work. And he says, but, you know, what was done on Camino was unfortunate. But, you know, know that her research, her research remains intact and now it'll serve a higher purpose, the emperor's purpose. She says she knows what Emperor Palpatine seeks to accomplish and, you know, he will not have her cooperation. Then he's like, well, perhaps you require the right incentive. So he, he'll be taking over operations here on Tantus and he can go, you know, he can do far worse than just confine her to a cell. So he's like, you know, I can make, I can basically torture you or whatever and then hemlock is told that they lost communications with transport 904 and he's like we need that asset contained and so were there any other kaminoans taken off world prior to the destruction of topoka city and then the you know lady amori whatever this this that greeted him says that their their prime minister uh was left and he remains in imperial custody in coruscant Hemlock's like, well, have him brought here. He's like, I want to talk to him personally. So the Bad Batch undershipped, or t they talk to Sid on the holo, and she's like, why so glum? And they mentioned, they're like, oh, I don't know, maybe because we, we were just stranded. And she's like, yeah, but you're fine now. And she mentions this job, and she's like, and I'll even give you, you know, give you 30% of the cut. 
texts like, uh, that's our standard percentage. Then Sid's like, okay, fine. This one time, let's make it 35%. And it's just like, silent. Then she's like, okay, 40. And she's like, all right, fine, 50% as a token of my goodwill. She's like, I'm sending over to Intel. And she's like, don't come back unless you, you, know, you scavenge something valuable. And Hunter's like, what makes you think we'd come back at all? And she's like, don't test me, bandana. Because he always has bandana. She's like, just get it done. So it's like their relationship seems kind of weird lately. They, this at the end of the call, Tech points out uh, severing ties with Sid could be problematic considering what she knows about them. So maybe they should be more diplomatic and just do this last mission. But Hunter says that, you know, she only sent the coordinates. There's no ship transponder code or indication of what caused it to crash. So they arrive at the location. Omega says that, you know, there's a village here. You know, you see as, as they're coming, you know, touching down. Tech says that explains how quickly the wreckage was re reported. And so they, they land, they head out, they find a ship, but they're not sure what kind it is. There's no markings. Tech says that the way it crashed, most likely there's no survivors. And Omega starts whining. She's like, but we don't know that for sure. It's like, they could be trapped inside. So it's dark and it's quiet inside. Omega asks, you know, where is everyone? Because, you know, there's no bodies or anything. So they come across this, like, the, that one high-volt, like, electrostaff. And uh, you know, the one that was attacked at the beginning. So Tech's like, you know, something unfortunate happened here. And he notes that he sees, a, like, a bunch of claw marks on the walls. And Hunter's like, you know, whatever did this wasn't human. Tech says that, he's going to go and get the power restored so they can check the data logs. And Omega's like, we're well, going to go by yourself. He's like, Oh, I'll be fine. So tech goes and, you know, he starts getting a little jumpy. Like he keeps hearing something, you know, he's in his control room. He keeps looking at like the doorway to the corridor or whatever. Cause you know, he thinks he heard, hears something. Rucker Hunter and Omega keep searching for, um, the item, whatever they're, they're looking for this, this thing, you know, and the cargo and any people, there's no one there. They get in this one room and it's cold. It's like some sort of lab. And Omega's like, oh, this equipment is, is Camino, Kaminoan, <laughs> whatever, however you say that. She's like, it's cloning technology, but this configuration is different than anything I saw in Topoka City. Hunter checks in on tech on the comms. He's still rerouting the reserve power. And then he hears something again. He's about to, you know, he's like, the power is about to restore it. He's working on it. He peeks around in the corridor. And this like compartment opens, this droid kind of like like falls out. It's like mutter, it's like danger. It's like all stuck garbled. It's like danger. And he's like, What happened? What attacked the ship? And it's like danger. And then it powers down. Rucker sees that there are like reinforced walls. And he's like, What were they keeping in here? And Hunter's like, I don't know, but it's still on board. And something kind of like oozes overhead. It's kind of at first it's like, is this like is some giant snake thing that kind of crawls by? Hunter tells him, like, back away slowly. But it actually has, like, like arms and legs or whatever. Lots of teeth. It starts moving towards him. Rucker tries using the stun baton, but then it just, like, eats it. So it's just, it's like it's feeding on the energy. And it roars as they start, like, shooting at it. The blast just kind of bounces off it. So it's got, like, really, like, thick skin, I guess. And, and then, it, like, it runs away so it can, like, attack from a different angle. Then it does attack. They shoot it again. It darts off again. Hunter calls Tech. He's like, we need to get off the ship now. And Tech says that he suspects that there was, like, some kind of research vessel that, you know, that's what they're on. Rucker's like, we know. And Omega's like, you know, whatever they're researching is, it just got loose. 
So the beast is like eating energy, like electricity off this like engine stuff. And they're like, oh, does that look different now? So I think it's like a little bigger or something like that. And a tech arrives on the other side. He tells him to take cover. He shoots the engine. It blows up, blows like a hole out the side of the ship. Creature gets out. Tech scans like with thermal go goggles. And he's like, it appears to be headed towards the village. So Hunter's like, we're, we're the ones that let it out. It's like, we have to neutralize it before it hurts anyone. And Wrecker's like, well, how are we going to do that? Because, you know, their blasters are useless. Tech says that, you know, since it's likely it ate the crew, he doubts that it's currently hungry. <laughs> Omega seems to be really put off. She's like, it ate the crew? And Hunter tells Tech, he's like, you know, access to lab files, you know, see if we can figure out what species it is and, you know, how we can stop it. Then Omega's like, well, I can help. She's like, I know my way around it. Kaminoan, you know, technology or whatever. Wrecker and Hunter, they go in the ship. They're trying to spot it from the, the air. Wrecker starts like shooting at it, then it jumps like onto the ship. It's like right, right on top of them. At first, I was like, maybe they should just like go out in space and see if they can shake it loose and leave it there. But Tech says that the data is highly encrypted, and Omega tells him, you know, she's like, you should probably start looking here at, at this one thing. And she's not really familiar with this tech, but she heard rumors of other Kaminoan experiments. So whatever they're doing must have been off world. Creature reaches a building. It starts like chomping on like this power thing. And then tech looks at the files. So they were using the creature's genetic material for modified armor plating. So that's why their blasters it didn't affect it. So it's, it's feeding on energy and it, it's causing it to get bigger. So tech calls Hunter and says that you know, it's the same kind of creature that attacked the Coruscant or attacked Coruscant during the war. They can't let it near the power grid or it'll increase exponentially in size. And he's, they're like, it's too late. So then three like star destroyers drop out of hyperspace and several ship comes out. They start shooting at them and Hunter calls Tech and Omega says that they have Imperials coming. So uh, this big ship starts shooting at it. It hits, it, they hit it twice and it like falls down and then it gets up and tries to get away. They blast it again. Then Wrecker's like, they're taking it. You know, they, they like attach like a net to it or something like that. So they have this big like winch thing and they're like just pulling it up and inside they stick it in this tank filling with liquid. I don't know what kind of liquid, if it was just water or something, they're just keeping contained. They all escape. The Imperials start gathering up the people in, in the village, like they're taking them away. So in hyperspace, Tech says that the vessel was part of an Imperial cloning operation, and Hunter's like, the Empire cloned a Zillow beast? And Tech's like, yes and no. The directive came straight from the Supreme Chancellor before he became Emperor. The creature's genetic material has potential to be weaponized in the hands of the right scientists. So no destination logs. They're not sure how they were, you know, or where they were going to take it. Then Tech says that there's far more to this than they realize. He suspects the Empire did not destroy the cities on Camino to end cloning. They merely wanted to control it. Hunter thinks that, you know, he's just he thinks about this and he's like, okay, send the, the data to Echo and Rex and you see see what they can find out. The ship with the creature lands, that one lady, whatever, Muriel, or I forget what her name was, she talks to the doctor, to Hemlock, and she says the creature has been recovered. And he's like, good. And our other guest? She says that the shuttle's arriving now. Outside, the doc asks if any of the villagers saw the Zillow, and the trooper says, uh, you know, several of them did. They're being detained, and, and they'll be dealt with. However, one vessel did escape their assault, a military-class shuttle, so the doc says, you know, find out who it was. Then the former prime minister 
of Camino is, is brought to him. He says that the chief scientist cooperation has been problematic. The dude says that it's unfortunate because, you know, if she, if she doesn't cooperate, you know, it won't be long until they, you know, just put an end to things. And Doc says that, you know, the prime minister, under, the prime minister understand why he's here. If he has any idea how to get her to cooperate, now is the time to share. And he says, in exchange for my freedom, and Doc's like, okay, I'm listening. Then he's like, there is one particular clone you must locate, a young girl. She is a key to controlling Nala Say. And Doc's like, how very interesting. Seems we have a lot to discuss. So I don't know, you know how many people know about Omega, but the fact that you know, it's this female clone, I would think that that'd be a big deal. And you know, she's disappeared. No one's like really questions like where did she go and where did she end up with and you know what is she capable of doing at this point? So unfortunately, uh, the tension is now being drawn on Omega. So we'll have to see what they finally decide to do about her. Okay, then we have the Mandalorian, Mandalorian's back, season three, episode one, which is chapter seventeen, the apostate. So as far as the Mandalorian, you know, I I really dig the show. You know, really enjoyed the the season two seasons. I do have to say, though, this episode, I, I wasn't super excited about it. it. It didn't seem like a whole lot happened, and I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's great production. It's really well done. Everything looks cool, but it's just like there wasn't a whole lot. So, you know, the, the main thing is, you know, Mandalorian took off his helmet, and he's no longer Mandalorian, so he has to redeem himself beneath the, you know, in the waters beneath the mines of Mandalore, but he can't do it anymore. So it starts off, we see like the armor is making something like some sort of armor, and, like, and it turns out to be a helmet. There's this child outside the cave, and then there's other Mandalorians in a ceremony. So the kid's like standing in the water as if like the forger, forger armor, whatever you call her, she approaches with the helmet. So I'm like, is this, uh, is this Din? Is this a, you know, Mandalorian as a kid? So then she's, you know, she holds up the, the helmet and she's like, I swear on my name and the names of the ancestor. So the kid repeats this, that I shall walk the way of the Mandalore and the words of the creed shall be forged in my heart. You know, he repeats all that, puts a helmet on him. This is the way everyone repeats. This is the way. Then she scoops some water in a bowl. From this moment on, I shall never remove my helmet. And then she stops him at she'll never because this huge space like alligator creature thing jumps out of the water and starts attacking. So to yell to get the, the young ones back to the caves, others are like shooting at the beasts as it tries like chomping on them. Some like take the skies in her jet pack, you know, get, get on top of its back. They're like putting like explosive charges on it. It's like, you know, little explosions, stuff like that. They're shooting cables at it, trying to like, you know, wrangle it down. But it, some of them are getting whipped around. Some are getting like swatted by its tail and whatever like that. So then the armor, armor runs out with like her axe that, because uh, the one one our Mandalorian like went underwater, so she like goes and pulls him out. She gets knocked back, and then the kid um, goes to her, then like stands. The beast's about to chop down, chomp down on him, and then this other person like knocks him down, and then he, you know starts shooting. And then a, a starfighter approaches and starts shooting the bees. Guts go flying everywhere. Ship circles back and lands. So it's Din Djarin and Grogu. So this wasn't a flashback. This is really happening. So Mandalorian and Grogu have arrived. So he enters the armor's palace later, and you know she has her back to him. 
And, and again, she's like, you have removed your helmet. What's worse, you did so of your own free will. You are no longer a Mandalorian. And Gro Grogu is just like, you know, just gurgling throughout. Din says that the Kree teaches us of redemption. And she's like, redemption is no longer possible since the destruction of our homeworld. Then he's like, but what if the minds of Mandalore still exist? And she's like, all was destroyed in the purge. He pulls something out, like this like crystal thing. He's like, is this inscription not Mandalorian? So she's like, where did you come upon this? And he's like, Jawas, they came upon it by trade from a traveler who claimed to have visited the surface of Mandalore. She's like, then this relic only proves that Mandalore's entire surface has been crystallized by fusion rays. And he's like, but a traveler was able to retrieve this, so perhaps it is not poisoned. If I visit the planet and I can bring you proof that I bathed in the living waters beneath the mines of Mandalore, then by creed, the decree of exile will be lifted and I would be redeemed. Then there's like a long pause and she like looks at Grogu and, and she's just like, this is the way. She gets up and then he gets up and he's like, then I will see you again. So it's just... Uh, and this whole thing, I mean, it's just, you took your helmet off, oh no, but that's how it goes. Hyperspace, Grogu's like cooing as they're like, you know, look, you know looking at all, all the streak of lights or whatever. And then he sees like a shadow, it almost looks like, like a frog or something, like the other like big things, I don't know what that's supposed to be. And then at first I was kind of worried, it's like, is he going to use the force to try to pull it towards them? And like, so then uh, he goes down in the main cop cockpit and he like kind of crawls into uh, Din's arms, like, I guess, goes to sleep or something like that. They arrive at Navarro, his independent trade anchor and outer rim hyperlane port. He, he tells a voice on the comm that his purpose is to visit an old friend. So they walk down the city street. It's like a marketplace. Grogu's in, like, the floating egg thing. And Mandalorian's like, a lot has changed around here. Then there's a statue for IG-11. And then Grief Karga calls up to Mando. So he says that he heard that Mando was back. Din's like, Magistrate Karga. And he's like, that's high, Magistrate Karga, to you. He has, like, this big cloak, and there's, like, these two little droids that are like, carrying the, the back of it. <laughs> so they, like, laugh and everything. They, like, do, do like, the bro handshake thing. Then uh, they're, they're going to go to his office. Grogu is, like, sitting in his chair, kind of, like, spinning around. Karga says that they're an official trade um outpost like at a hygiene way or something like that they have there's just construction boom going on they have miners and asteroid fields you know at the edge of the system there's a lot of money to be made in navarro and he's like i can set you up with a you know prime tract over by the hot springs and then he's like you know you and and the little one can can settle down and you can hang up your blaster live off the, the fat of the land and he's like grogu he's like what he's like his name is grogu he's like if you say so so he tries showing him like the land and the whole old, you know, he's trying to sell him on it. And Mando's like, you know, I appreciate the offer, but I have some matters to look after. And Karga's like, well, I'm confused. You know, I, I thought you completed your mission and, you know, but you're still running around with a little critter. And he's like, it's complicated. I completed my quest. He returned to me. I removed my helmet and now I am an apostate. And he's like, well, all the more reason you should stay with us, you know. And this protocol, protocol droid comes in and interrupts. There's someone here to see you know, Karga. He's like, it's pirates. So there's pirates in the courtyard. So then uh, some pirates are demanding, you know, destroyed to step aside, let them in this like building. Karga comes on. He's like, come on, Vane. He's like, that'll be enough of that. So the, the pirate alien is like, grief, Karga, my old friend. I knew you wouldn't insult us. He's like, come join us for a drink. Karga's like, why don't we 
you know, finish this conversation back at my office. Because he's like, they're trying to enter a school. Vane says that that explains why the droid wouldn't let them inside. And then he's like, he says something like, I forgot it was your your cut of my boss's treasure that built this saloon. Karga, he's he's like, let's just go have a drink in my office. But Vane's like, we drink here. He's like insisting. Karga's like, it's a school now. And Vane's like, it's still a bar. Now bring us a drink. Then Mando, he's just been like leaning against the trees like, is there a problem here, Magistrate? And Karga says to Vane, he's like, is there a problem here? <laughs> and he's he's like, what do you think? And Vane shrugs and he's like, not if you serve me a drink. And Karga's like, not in my school. Vane takes a step into the street. He's like, oh, you hear that boy? His school. You paid us for murder and mayhem inside these doors. So he, he moves his his coat so he can like, kind of like reach for his holstered pistol. So we're about to have like a, a shoot, shoot out, shoot, shoot standoff. I don't know what I'm trying to say. And he's like, sounds like you went soft. Mando stands from like the leaning and Karga's like, you think so? He moves his cloak to reveal you know, he has a pistol. He's like, try me. So it gets tense. Everyone's like, you know, their hands are twitching and then Vane draws, but Karga shoots first, shoots the gun out of his hand. And then, uh, He's like, tell Captain Gorian Shard that Navarro is no longer friendly to pirates. Now get out of here. Karga's like, get out of here. And Mando's like, are you sure you want to let him go? And Karga's like, he'll let it be known that Navarro is respectable now. This just seems like a bad idea. Like, you should just kill him right then and there. But then Karga levels with Mando. He's like, I need a marshal. And then Mando's like, what about Marshal Dune? No one cares about Marshall Dune. Karga says that after she brought in Moth Gideon, she was recruited by special forces. Gideon was sent off to Republic War Tribunal. Mando says, you know, why not request a marshal from the New Republic? And Karga says that the last thing they want to do is bow down to yet another far-off bureaucracy. So he wants to be the first truly independent trade anchor in this sector. Mando says that, you know, he can't serve as his marshal because he has something pressing to attend to. And Cargo's like, my apologies. He's like, I didn't know you were here in business. He's like, what can we provide? Mando points at the IG-88 statue. He's like, I need him back. Cargo like chuckles. He's like, he was destroyed in the lava river. He's like, this is just a statue. And but Mando's like, these are his parts, are they not? And Cargo's like, what's left of them? He's like, I need a droid I can trust to help me explore Mandalore. And he's the droid. So they, they take him down. His like upper torso is like the only thing that's left. So Mando's kind of like working on him, hooks him up, like some power, you know, try to wake him up. Nothing really happens. But then the fingers start twitching. He like lifts his head and kind of like sits up. And he starts like talking like garbled speech. And he, he starts talking about, says something about like bondsman, guild, protocol, waiver. He's like, the bounty is mine. Asset to be ter terminated. So Mando lifts Grogu out away from the table. Then, uh, IG-11 falls to the floor, starts crawling at Mando and, and Grogu as Mando's, like, shooting at him. Then he tosses Grogu to Karga, and then IG-11 starts crawling towards Karga. Mando shoots some more, but doesn't, like, make a difference. And then the protocol droid pushes over this bust of Karga, and it lands and smashes the IG-11 head. And Mando's like, now that's using your head. It's like, come on, he's not a comedian. See, he must have defaulted to his own old programming or something. So they wheeled parts out. Karga says that they'll get the best droid smiths on Navarro. They'll have him back in no time. 
Mando asks, you know, he's like, are they up to it? And then he, he's like, why don't you ask them yourself? He's like, who? He's like, the Anzellans. So it's the, the little guys like uh, Babu Frick from Rise of the Skywalker. I'm sure, I don't think it was Babu, but it's like those the same species. So they all kind of talk the same. They work on IG-11. Then they're like, no, it's the broken memory circuit is shot. So they don't make them anymore. This one, Pudu. So Mando asks, he's like, can he fix it without the memory circuit? It's basically if Mando can get a new part, he can fix it. And Grogu picks up one of the cr cr critters, guys, whatever. Mando's like, no, he's not a pet. And then the, <laughs> the one guy's like, bad baby. So they're trying to bring in the funny or whatever. So he's going to go look for a part, but he says, you know, keep IG-11 safe until he gets back. He tells Grogu that being a Mandalorian isn't just about knowing how to fight. You have to be able to navigate the galaxy because you never know where you might be headed next. He shows Grogu how the controls of the ship work, the map, the fuel gauge, enemy proximity alert, which now starts going off. He's like, hang on. He's like, we got pirates. There's like three ships, veins in the middle. He's like, a vast Mandalorian. You can't just sneak away after cutting down four of my brothers in cold blood. But it's like, dude, they tried attacking first. It's just this whole thinking is just so annoying whenever this happens. We're Pirate King Gorian Shard's men. Now you'll answer to him. So Gorian Shard, um, he's like, he should stick to hijacking and ransoming. But then he like zips off, takes evasive maneuvers. Then three more ships approach. And they're, they're flying through like some asteroids, uh, doing moving around. One ship gets hits a rock you know hits meteor blows up then they kind of lose him and another one goes down then another and another so he's getting behind them now like shooting at them he shoots one more and then that one's down so of course bane is the last one left so he radios bringing the mandalorian to you captain so then there's like this big ship gets a target lock on them captain tells him that he's outgunned Mando tells Shard that he has no quarrel with him. He's, he's like, funny, since he just took out five of my fighters. He's like, surrender your ship, and I'll spare your life. Mando says to Grogu, he's like, kid, never trust a pirate. He hits like the nitro, not, it's not nitro, hits a button, they, they take off. They arrive at Kalevala, and so it's another planet in the Mandalorian system. There's a Mandalorian castle. So he lands on this platform. There's this droid there to greet him. He and Grogu enter. He calls out to Bo-Katan and says that you know he's here to join her. And she's just sitting like on this throne. And she's like, but there's nothing left to join. He, and he's like, what are your plans to retake Mandalore? She's like, when I returned without the Darksaber, my forces melted away. He's like, where's the stolen fleet? And she's like, making their way through the galaxy as mercenaries. It's like, do you still have the saber? He's like, I do. Then you lead them. He's like, wave that thing around, and they'll do whatever you say. Mando's like, so you gave up your design to retake Mandalore? And she's like, your cult gave up on Mandalore long before the purge. She's like, where were you then? The children of the Watch and all the factions that came before fractured and shattered our people. He, and she's like, go home. There's nothing left. He's like, I am going to Mandalore so that I may bathe in the living waters and be forgiven for my transgressions. And she's like, you are a fool. There's nothing magic about the minds of Mandalore. It's like, they supplies Beskar ore to our ancestors and the rest is superstition. He's like, that planet has been ravaged, plundered, and poisoned. Mando's like, you said that the curse was a lie. Make up your mind. So she's like, if you want to go to the mines, be my guest. They're beneath the civic center in the city of Sundari. And he's like, thank you. And I will find out if the planet is really poisoned. Then he turns and he leaves. And she's like, 
Goodbye, Din Djarin. And that's it. So, I mean, the, the shootout part was, you know, fun, neat, whatever. And, you know, we got a space chase through asteroids, which I guess that was cool. But I don't know, just the whole thing. It's, it's like, okay, we see Grief Cargus set up. We see that, you know, there's a statue for IG-11. Um, I don't, you know, we got some, you know, we know why Cardoon's not going to be around. <laughs> but, like, nothing majorly happened. I don't. I don't know. I mean, it, it was. I mean, it's not. It wasn't a bad episode by far, but it's just. It's just weird that I thought it was just okay, and I. I don't know. Maybe I just want too much. I, I'm absolutely not trying to. You know, I don't mean to complain, but yeah, I don't know. So that was a Mandalorian. So we'll see how how it is next week. Okay, then with Star Trek Picard, season three, episode three, seventeen seconds. So it starts off, there's alert, you know, picking up from the last episode. Um, Captain Vadic, the evil mercenary bounty hunter, whatever, she's still following them through the nebula, firing on them as, you know, they try evasive moves, whatever. In the med bay, the ship is like rocking. <laughs> Some like stupid officers, they look at Jack and they're like, this is your fault. And it's like, wait, that doesn't sound very professional. Shaw orders them to warp out of there, but they can't. Riker says that the nebula is causing interference. So they're, they're taking damage you know, to the shields and the ship, whatever. Picard goes to Riker. He's like, you know, if she wanted to destroy us, she could. So she knows that they're running blind. Riker tells Shaw that they need to hide. Shaw tells LaForge to go deeper into the nebula. Vatic is told that they're out of sensor range, that they've lost him. So it's like, well, okay, what's your plan here? Why didn't you do something? Picard's like, you know, they're like, we lost him, and he's like, for now. So then it cuts to before. So we see like some sort of like future LA or somewhere like that. I don't know exactly where it's at. Picard and Riker drink a toast at a bar, and they're talking about like Riker's son, Thad. I think his name's Thaddeus. The delivery wasn't smooth. Riker got a call to, you know, get down to the delivery room. He's like, the turbo lift took 17 seconds, which is the name of the episode. He's like, that was the longest of my life. So he thought he was losing his unborn son and his, you know, his son's whole future flashed in front of his eyes. You know, it's like the future that would never happen. And Picard says, like, he's like, in that moment, you became a father. Riker's like, yeah, and you do anything to take care of them. He's like, you, you know, you'd even burn the world. So he's, he's like, I hope, you know, one day you can have that feeling too. So then Deanna calls him and she's kind of complaining that, you know, she hasn't brushed her hair in whatever, 17 hours and, you know, because he's out and, and she's kind of joking, but kind of serious. And she's like, bring the whiskey. So then present day alarms going off in the nebula. There's no sign of, of the Shrike, the Captain Vatic's um, ship still working on repairs. It's supposed to be, I, th I think it was like two hours until they can warp. Then there's like an energy search for the nebula. There's like electrical and biological signatures. So it's like, what the heck's going on here? Seven's frustrated. She's still in her quarters. Um, LaForge and some others were, you know, Shaw just told them they can go get some rest because they've been on for like 36 hours. But LaForge stops to check on Seven. She says that, you know, she's confined to her quarters for insubordination, but she's fine. LaForge says that, you know, her father was one of the greatest engineers ever. People were fine with her continuing his footsteps, but the minute she wanted to be a pilot, whoo boy. So she says, you know, people looked at her like, you know, she didn't belong. You know, that she was in Starfleet just because she was Jordy LaForge's daughter. You know, one, one of the ways that she and her father are alike is that they have a hard time making friends, but when they do, they know their value. 
So Shah might call her insubordinate for helping hers, but her father wouldn't. And then Seven's like, thank you. She's like, go rest inside. And then she's like, yes, Commander Seven. And she kind of like smiles at her because Shaw doesn't want her going by Seven of Nine. Beverly is checking on like this injured dude. There's this doc comes in. She's like, what are you doing? Whatever. And then Riker and Picard come in in the med bay. Riker um, tries getting Jack to, to come with him, but he's like, he doesn't want to leave his mom. But Riker you know, is trying to make it so Picard and Beverly can talk to each other. So then they're just like standing there, you know, looking at each other. Then she says, you know, two months before she left the Enterprise, they took shore leave. You know, it was a perfect day and borrow time. You know, I forget where they went to some waterfall or something like that. Then um, they call him back right away. And she's like, that's how it always was. But we both knew that, you know, they're at the end. They'll never see you again. I, you know, that I would wonder for years what it was that had I had done, you know, but it was her and she says that the way that the room you know they ended the romantic relationship or whatever he he says like you know for the fifth time because you know they're, they're i guess they're always like breaking up and getting back together whatever so she says that you know she got pregnant that night and she wanted to tell him and he's like well why didn't you so she wanted to tell him she you know she wanted her son to know him but then these like refugees got upset over romulan territories or something like that so they held him for nine days so picard's like oh so my window was only nine days She's like, then she tried again, but two assassins intercepted his ship or something like that. Then Starfleet asked him to negotiate this one thing, and then a grenade detonated mere meter, meters from him. She's like, that's when she knew that it would be like that forever, attempts on his life. And he's like, you never thought that if you told me, it might have all been different? She says that he loves it when the galaxy comes calling for him. She's like, don't pretend that it, you, know, you could have just walked away. And he says that, you know, she made the choice for him. So, you know, she doesn't get to condemn someone before the fact, you know, over and over. He, she's like over and over again, you, you told me you never wanted family that, you know, you're too worried you, you'd be a father like your own. And he's like, don't take my past and use it against me. He's like, how dare you take what I confided in and use it against the biggest decision of my life. He's like, I could have been a father, a husband. He's like, I know now that I'd never be my father. He's like, but I could have learned that 20 years ago. She says that when um, Jack was on the way, you know, she was terrified. She's like, if you're the son of Jean-Luc Picard, a target would be on, you know, on his back. You know, she lost her parents, then a husband, then her son Wesley, you know, all for the same stars that own him. As a mother, you know, your whole life is about protecting your child. So she thought that if she could protect hers, you know, she would do it. She didn't know that if she could protect his child. So Jack's like pacing in a hall. Riker's just like standing there watching him. And Jack's, you know, asks him, he's not to look at him like that. So he comments that the resemblance to his, his dad, he's like, no, no. He's like, that's not go, you know, it's like not call him dad or whatever. Riker says, like, you know, he's one of the greatest men in, that I know. And Jack's like, is he? He's like, you know, from my experience, the bigger the legend, the bigger the disappointment. Riker's like, we're all faulty. We're all human. You know, some others walk by in the hallway, whatever like that. Jack comments about the accusatory stares. Riker says, they just want to know, you know what they're risking their lives for. Jack's like, I didn't ask for it. He's like, I never would. And Riker's like, I know that, but you have to own it. And you have to give them a reason to feel good about it. Jack's like, he's like, look, he's like, I don't know much about you, Riker. <laughs> he's like, well, how about you call me captain? And Jack's like, you know, sometimes my mother would start telling a story about all of you her eyes would light up, but then she'd get sad and stop. 
And he's like, do you have a, a, a family? I think this is the part where he's like, do you have a family, Riker? And he's like, feel free to call me captain. And he's like, yes, I have a wife and a daughter. And I had a son. So I don't even know the history. So somehow Riker lost his son, apparently. Picard asked Beverly, you know, what, what, um, what she knows about the ship. And she's like, nothing. She's like, Jack and I help people on worlds that Starfleet has forgotten. And, you know, they had trouble now and then, but nothing like this. So Picard's like, well, why did you say trust no one? So she mentions getting jumped by Fenris Rangers and Klingons. You know, they're they're trying to take Jack. They went to Starfleet and they still came for them. It's like, you know, everywhere they go, someone turns on them. And then he's like, why do they want Jack? She says that she doesn't think it has anything to do with him. She thinks it has something to do with Picard. And he says, he's like, I don't know anything about Vatic and she's like well I don't either but that ship has Picard enemy behind it you know someone's like calling the shots then Picard says something like you know like you know shouldn't he have had a chance to to know him and you know didn't Jack shouldn't he have had a chance and she says that when he was old enough she told him who his father was and where to find him he decided not to so Picard, he's like, okay, what? He, he's, he, he goes out. And then he walks by by them. He just goes, he's like, walk with me, Will. And he just kind of like, you know, ignores Jack, just walks past him. So Riker is like, what did Beverly say? And he's like, it's immaterial. And Riker is like, he, he's like, you still need to talk to Jack. And Picard says that he's placed lives at risk. And they need to focus on the here right now. Riker says, he's like, you got to talk to him. He's like, you know, moments with your kid. He's like, you don't want to have regrets. So Picard says that it's irreparable, irreparable, whatever, you know what I'm saying. So he owes the ship and his captain an an apology. So on a bridge, they get a visual to strike. They start attacking. Then again, you know, they're trying to like hide and whatever. People go flying on a bridge. Shaw, he gets hit. He gets banged up. He's like, his head's like all bloody like that. He looks at Riker. He's like, you. It's like, you got us into this mess. You're going to get us out. Computer, transfer command, blah, 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 you know, whatever like that. So Riker, he ex- just, all he can do is accept. And then he's like, get to sickbay. So he gives Picard an order to send like a torpedo um, it's like a concussion, you know, blast between them, whatever, to, to knock the shri- shrike back. And then he's like, thank you, Jean-Luc. And Picard's like, Will, I think it's time you call me number one. So uh, then we see the news. The news is saying that this Toluco dude is, is to blame for the attack on Starfleet, the recruitment center. Rafi turns it off, you know, hears some music. So she goes to, to check, grabs her phaser, and Worf is like doing like weapon meditating, you know, whatever, um, dancing stuff. Rafi comes in pointing her phaser and she's like, I don't know who the hell you are. He throws like a big dagger at her just slams by her feet. And then, then he, he's like disarms her easily and he hands it back to her. He's like, I am Worf, son of Morg, house of Martok, son of Sir, Sergei, house of blah, blah, blah. You know, it keeps going on. <laughs> he's like, I have some chamomile tea. Do you take sugar? And she's kind of taken aback. She's like, Worf? She's like, you're a legend. Picard talks about you all the time. So she's like, you're exactly like I thought you would be, but also not as much, probably because like the tea in that. He says that he is learning that one must access calm as much as fire. So he's been working on himself, as as humans say. 
she realizes that he was there when um and you know what he did you know when he he saved her and she's like you're my handler he's like you're starfleet he says that his concern aligned with theirs uh with starfleets so he's like think of him as a subcontractor he's like there's some kind of attack coming and he fears that what happened is only the beginning she says that that's what she said you know why wouldn't he let her investigate and he says because he thought that she'd get herself killed and she almost did so she's he says that she, you know, she's having withdrawals or something like that and so she's like you blew my cover and he's like you already accomplished that then she starts questioning you know what she was doing you know what was the risk or whatever and he says that she has the heart of a warrior and instincts, but there's something coming. You know, there is something coming. He's known about it for a while, and she served him well. And she's like, wait. She's like, where's all this past tense coming from? And he says that he knows who paid the Ferengi to lie, someone named Titus Rika. So multiple criminal contracts, whatever. So the two of them will track him down together, and they'll find out what the next phase of is of their plan and stop them. And then she's like, cool. So it's weird because he's talking past tense, but then he's like, yeah, we're going to work together. So Picard and Will are talking plans. Picard says that Vatic is just as blind as they are. Riker says that they should focus on the warp. Engineering says it should be about 20 minutes. Picard's like, they can't just evade. They have to re-engage. And Riker's like, this isn't the Enterprise. He's like, there's a big difference. They only have the option to hide but you know he's open to Picard's input. So Beverly and Jack are helping in the med bay. She sees like Shaw on a table and the doc's like attending to him, and she's like having trouble like because uh, he, he's just bleeding and everything like that. The doc says that it's fine. You know she's like, oh, and she just go you know treat the others. But she's like they're fine, and she's like I don't like what I'm seeing. Then she figures out you know she touches like areas on like uh, on Shaw's like sides and it. So he's she's like he's bleeding internally. The doc's like, I ran an, Im an imaging scan. Beverly's like, yeah, but it doesn't always pick up a delayed bleeding. So she calls out to Jack. He comes up. And they have to like, like kind of roll him into the side. So Shaw's like, how does she keep finding us? Jack's like, sir, I'm so sorry for this. Shaw just like repeats the question. Jack like looks down and sees like a bunch of pools of blood. Then he gets up. It's like, wait, did he think about something? On the bridge, there's no sign of Attic. The warp is going to be ready in less than 10 minutes. Riker asks an officer if they've been tracking the energy pulses. And she says that she has. It doesn't seem to be a normal nebula. They're both electrical and biological signatures. Nothing's ever like this been reported in Starfleet records. And Picard says, so you don't recommend going straight through it? Riker asks if, if she was suggesting they go back. And... The officer says that, you know, logic says it would be unwise to go deeper. So he tells LaForge to take them out, tell engineering that they have as much time as it takes to get out of the nebula to get to warp. So Jack tries uh, going to the bridge, but there's actually like someone standing out there. And it's not even like, like a security dude, whatever. He's like, we're at red alert. It's like, turn around. It's like, okay, dude. So now they're finally, they're ready to warp. Uh, there are moments from the edge. Scanners are coming online. Then the Shrike is right behind them. And she's like, ready to the device. So the dude says the weapons are online. 
it's giving like all readings like unlike anything that he's seen before fire so it goes in front of them and it opens up this portal so they're flying like right at it they go through the portal and so it was apparently like a, a dimensional porting and uh, it brought them deeper into the nebula Riker's like like try it again then she fires another portal in front of them and it takes them back Picard says that she's corralling them and you know they're using like all this energy and, and they're gonna waste their energy until they're defenseless so he's like now's the time to fight Riker just says he's like turn us around and take us back and Picard just kind of like shakes his head so Picard's like itching for a fight Rafi is on the move then she you know calls Worf she's like you know I, I told you to stay back because she says that he's like sticking out or whatever like that and he says that you know she's looking conspicuous because she's wearing a hood or whatever so they're just kind of bickering a little bit like that then Worf sees it the dude that they're looking for like behind her and he's like you know he's like we've been discovered or something like that so the dude's running now and he's getting away you know Rafi's like trying to chase him and then Worf somehow cuts him off grabs him like lifts him up and slams him down so the Shrike is chasing the Titan, blasting at them. LaForge says that you know she can't shake her. Picard says that they're running out of chances. Seven gets a knock on the door, and it's Jack. He's like, I need a word. He's like, you are a Fenris Ranger. He's like, blood in the water, oldest trick in the book. And he's like, that's how the Shrike keeps finding us. He's like, somehow we're, we're leaving a, a trail of something. So like a you know, trail of breadcrumbs or something. And, you know, There's any number of ways it could happen. Seven mentions that you know, something that leaks from the warp coil, so they have to be sure. They go to leave, but this dude at the door says, you know, Captain's orders still stand. You know, she's still confined to quarters. So Jack's like, yeah. He's like, about that, punches the guy out. And she's like, you're insane. So quarters are a mess. There's like sparks going. Uh, you know, people are getting knocked back and forth. They get to this one area, and it stinks. So there's like, there's a gas leak. So they grab these like gas mask things that are like right there. And she says that, you know, someone deactivated the atmospheric diagnostics. So the ship can't detect the leak, which that doesn't seem right. So they open this compartment. Jack says it looks like short range phaser blaster. So someone like shot this thing. Seven says like sabotage. And then, you know, she has to check this other area. So she calls the bridge and she mentions how they're being followed. So she's like, someone did this on purpose. So this other officer tells Riker that they're getting too close to the center and there's like a, a gravitational pull. Picard says that if it was sabotage, then they could use it to their advantage. Riker's like, you mean as like a diversion? And Picard's like, you know, stop the leak. And Riker's like, you know, leave a dead end to trail and blast out of there. Picard's like, you know, no, use it as a trap. Instead of fleeing, you know, we position behind the Shrike so we'd have her dead to rights. Riker says that, you know, it makes tactical sense, but, you know, like Picard says er, said earlier, they can't risk the lives of the crew. And he's like, you know, as soon as the leak is fixed, they're taking off. And so they basically, they really just disagree with each other. Picard says that the leak gives him, you know, just one more advantage. She doesn't know that they know. And he's like, no, he's like, he's, I'm taking the ship and his crew back home. So an officer sees Jack in that like compartment room, goes in, and Jack's like, you can't be in here. There's a leak. But then the dude grabs him, like throws him across the room. Jack gets up and like tries, you know, like punching his face, or whatever. The, the dude's face changes. So he's like some sort of shapeshifter. And then uh, Jack's mask gets knocked off. And a dude does something at the control thing, whatever, then he runs out. 
Rafi is like interrogating the the dude that they they, they captured. So she's not happy because you know he helped get 117 people killed. She talks about like you know we can have ways of making you talk and pull off you know start with pulling off your fingernails and something. Worf's like oh you can keep your fingernails and the dude's like already sweating and and shaking. Worf goes on about preaching about how he used to be like her. You know your anger is your enemy, and then Rafi pulls like something out of her pocket. You know the dude's having withdrawals, so she's like kind of taunting him. And she describes, you know, what it's feeling and all the sensation, whatever. And and she's like, and you know, no one knows that you're here, so you know, you're, no one's going to come trick you. So Jack is choking. Then he sees Seven like standing over him, and there's like some weird stuff behind her. And I think she says something about like connect the branches, and then there's like this red door, like and this like black shadow starts to open. But then he comes out of it, and and then you know she's really there. She pulls him out. She takes him to sick bay calls the bridge Riker tells he's like tells Picard he's like you you know because he like, hesitates he's like go Beverly is starting to do compressions on him and Picard finally comes in just as Jack flatlines so Jack is dead Beverly starts like this defibrillator thing like over again beep beep you know clear 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 so he, it takes him a while but he's finally back and you you he's like <gasps> and he gasps and then Picard's like he sighs huge you know relief Rafi's still yelling. He's like, who broke into Daystrom? And he then the guy yells out. He's like, I did it. And then she's like, why would you blame the Romulans? And he said, it was never about the portal weapon. It was basically to distract them from something else that they're going to take. So something more dangerous and more valuable. And the dude's like, that's all I know. Then Rafi looks at him. And she, then she's like, wait, that's not withdrawal. Because then his face starts like shifting. And Worf's like, how long have you been away from the Great Link? And a dude just like stares at him. Picard returns to the bridge and he's like, we can't run any longer. We have to protect the ship. Riker's like, I am by not getting us all killed. Riker says that he understands and you know he can't be fearful of loss. And Riker's like, fearful of loss? He's like, you're out of line. He's like, sit down, Admiral. And Picard's like, how many times must your strategy fail? It's not working. He's like, sit down, Admiral. He's like, I'm the captain of the ship. And then, then he's told that the Shrike was momentarily detected, but then it's kind of disappeared. So she's close. Worf tells a dude that he, you know, he wanted them to let he wanted them to let him go before he revealed his true form. So he he knows his kind. What his associate mistook as withdrawals was merely his need to regenerate in liquid form. And the dude's like, it's too late. He's like, your world's on the verge of destruction. Soon your federation will crumble. Worf grabs his head. And it's like, I don't know if he, he was, he almost like he was going to do like the Vulcan mind something or something like that. But then he, because Rafi's like, what's going on? And he like turns into liquid. And Rafi's like, don't let him get away. Worf shoots it with like a phaser and he like disintegrates, I think. So Jack, you know, he's like, I was attacked by a shapeshifter. He's like, his face moved as a changeling's would. Worf is talking, you know, Sonata are both kind of talking about this. He's like, in the past, the changelings were a powerful enemy of the Federation with a purpose. So the dude, we see he you know, places a device like on this other engine part. Worf says that when a war, this one, whatever war ended, a terrorist faction broke away, unwilling to accept the defeat. Worf was told about this group from like a trusted ally or whatever. But if Starfleet were to acknowledge their existence, then it would reignite the Dominion War. So they can look and sound like any species. He thinks that they're playing another attack. Starfleet's 
going to be the target. They need to get to Daystrom Station. So basically, Worf and Rafi are partners now because there's like something bigger. Again, it wasn't about the portal thing. Something else, there's a bigger objective behind that. Riker's told that the leak is gone. Seven calls and says that Jack was ambushed. He thinks it was a changeling. So then this bomb goes off. So that, that dude placed something else, you know, another part of the engine. LaForge says that the warp energy is falling to zero. Picard's like, Will, turn the ship around and fight. And he's like, we'll lose. Picard's like, we're out of options, Captain. We fight or we die. Riker tells the bridge, he's like, prepare to attack. He tells LaForge, he's like, get ready to go behind her. Because, you know, so they, the leak is closed. So Vag's going to come, but then they're going to sneak around behind her, I guess. So they get there. They fight fire with, with everything. You know, they shoot everything. And then the Shrike opens a portal <laughs> in front of the blast. The, the, the photon torpedoes, whatever they shoot, go through the portal, come out behind the Titan, hits it. Ship's not responding. Um, the Shrike is kind of retreating. They're sinking towards the gravity well. They have no control. They're like dead in the water or whatever. Riker tells Picard, he's like, remove yourself from the bridge. You just killed us all. So it didn't work. They got hit from behind. They got no controls of the engine. And now... They're going to this whatever this is this gravitation whatever's I don't know what what's inside the nebula they don't know what's inside the nebula, so that's going to be the end of them. They're all going to die. So it was an interesting episode. I what I do like about Worf, you know, it 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 almost feels like it's fan service, you know, bringing in all the next generation characters. But it was cool, just when Worf like picks up this guy and just slams him down. Because I feel like in Next Generation, you know, Worf's supposed to be this fierce warrior, but I feel like he never. And I could be totally wrong because you know I haven't seen all the episodes and it's been so long. But I feel like he was never really given the chance to like fully like just like beast out on you know and just like kick butt like he should. So we'll see where things go from here. Well, so I, I enjoyed the episode. Okay, and now it's time for the movie feature, Creed Three. It's so funny with these movies. Yeah, um, I, I I'm trying to think if I, I've talked about the other ones before. I'm not like a big boxing fan. You know, my I grew up. I you know, I saw some boxing now and then. My dad was big on boxing, so you know, I I saw a lot of it. And I think I mentioned before, my dad used to get like you know boxing magazines ring. But you know, boxing. I, it's just whatever for whatever reason it's, it's not my my jam i had nothing against it i can appreciate it you know i been over to a friend's house you know in the like big fight you know pay-per-view or whatever but it's not something I, I regularly watch but these movies you know the rocky movies and the creed movies they're just so good and you know i, I was i was actually talking to a student about it and it, it's not so much about the boxing part of it i mean obviously in some of the movies you know, that is a huge part but it's it's really about the characters too, and like the acting, the performances, because you know they make you like care about these characters, and you know that's you know Michael B. Jordan does. You know I didn't even realize he directed this episode. It was not till the end, because uh, with this movie, I, I guess I, I should like back up a bit. I didn't know anything about this movie. I I'm trying to remember. I don't even know if I watched a trailer for it, because I feel like the trailer kind of jumped out. And then I was like, oh, a trailer came out, you know, so I was like, I missed it, like the moment it dropped. I don't remember if I actually watched the trailer or not. But then I was like, I don't want to know anything about this. And then after 
Ant-Man and Wasp Quantumania, another buddy of mine, Rich, he's he's talking about the fight. He's like, oh, that's just, you know, getting us ready for Creed. And at first I was like, you know, I, I said to myself, to myself, I was like, wait, what's he talking about? Then I was like, is Jonathan Major in, in Creed? <laughs> and so that's just like how I just knew nothing about it. But that's what I, I enjoyed if, when moments I can do this because, you know, doing this podcast especially, you know, I, I kind of... I, I tried digging into the news, you know, and, and there's like some news that I missed, you know, when, when I'm gathering everything up. But, you know, I try to find a lot of it and, you know, I, I force myself to watch the trailers and everything like that just so I can report on anything and comment on it. So it's it's kind of fun and amazing the moments when I, I don't have any information. So I just get to enjoy it for you. And I, I just think that's such a fun, fascinating thing. And, and you know, there's people that just they love spoilers and I get why, you know, some people like the spoilers, you know, if they get anxious or whatever, you know, but it's just, it's so cool when you don't know anything about it. Now with the movie on Rotten Tomatoes, you know, not that this is the, you know, whatever main source of everything, it's at an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics, 96% from the audience scores. So that, that's pretty good. And, you know, when I went to see this, I was like, okay, you know, cool, you know, Creed, Creed. I'll, I'll watch this. And one of the things I totally uh, blanked out, you know, I'm trying to remember, like, when was, you know, so Creed 2 came out 2018, so four years ago. It feels like it was longer than that. And I totally forgot about that. You know, when this was coming out, I was like, did I even see Creed 2? I was like, I must have seen it because, you know, I'm a, I was, I'm a, a fairly big Rocky fan. And, you know, I remember watching the first one and I was like, I must have seen this. And then then I remember saying to myself, I don't think I mentioned this on the podcast. I was like, man, what they should do was ha- is have a Creed go up against like Drago's son. He's like, that would be cool. It's like, wait, did I hear something about that? Did they talk about maybe doing that? And then it turned out, yeah, they, they totally did that. That was called Creed 2. <laughs> so I actually watched Creed 2. Uh, maybe like a week or two ago just to to get ready for this one. And then as I watch it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I totally saw this movie. You know, it all came back to me. But it's just so funny how I just totally forgot about it. And I was like, oh, you know, they should have Creed go up against Drago because Drago killed his dad. And <laughs> I was like, you dork. That's absolutely 100% what they did. And you're not coming up with this, like, cool idea. Uh, the other funny thing about this, so, you know, you have Michael B. Jordan. You have Tessa Thompson, and you have Jonathan Majors. All three of them, Marvel movies, because Marvel movies are are awesome. Everyone should like them. So, so we we have all that. Now, what's interesting about Creed three? I guess I should kind of get to some things. Uh, it it kind of cut goes goes back to two thousand two. So we see Adonis, um, Donnie, whatever, when when he was a kid. And he's hanging out with his friend Damien, Dame, Jonathan Majors. And um, Dame actually wants to be a boxer. You know, he's a little older than Adonis. And, you know, so he's he's like, I'm going to be a champion. He's going to do all this stuff. Something goes on, goes down, and Dame ends up going to jail. And that's why he's been out of the picture all this time. So because of that, you know, we don't get all the, this whole story. You know, we, we, we're getting like little bits here and there. 
So, you know, Michael B. Jordan, he's, he's feeling guilty about it or something like that. So what happens in, in the movie, Dame, Damien gets out of prison. He, he goes and, and kind of tracks down Adonis because at first, you know, he's sitting outside the gym. He's got like, like a bag on his car, you know, his, his, I think it was a Mercedes or I forget what it was. And he's like, yo, he's like, can I help you? Something? He's like, that's my car or whatever. And then he's like, you don't remember me, do you? And he kind of looks at him and he's like, then, then, you know, it takes him a moment. Then he realizes he's like, oh crap. He, he sees who it is. So they like talk and everything like that. Then that's when he comes out. He's like, I want to be champion. And, you know, they're, they're talking about, you know, cause they, they talk about Michael Jordan's career and they're all this stuff like that. And, you know, he keeps commenting about how, you know, he's all dressed up and he's a suit and the fancy cars and, and everything. So that's the whole, I mean, that, that's the main thing. So Jonathan Majors, he wants to be a boxer, but, um, oh, cause, uh, Adonis, he's retired now. You know, we, we see like his, his final fight or whatever. And so now, you know, he's, he's a father, his daughters, she's way more than four years old, I think. Yeah, definitely more than four. So, you know, we 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 find out like what they've been doing like since then and they're, you know, they've moved on and and so now Adonis is becoming more kind of like a promoter, you know, working on, on things. And uh Jonathan Majors, you know, he he wants he wants a shot at the title, but Adonis is like it's it's not that easy. He's like you can't just do that. And he's actually like working with the the current champ and everything like that he's like i just want a shot and he's like that's impossible he's like yeah but you got you know you got a chance and and then you know there's even reference like rocky how you know he he got that chance so that's what it comes down to um so now i don't know how how much i i should get into this you know so there's like so, something you know with, with their past we still don't know the whole story to details because you know dame comes over for dinner and you know they, they talk and and you know he's obviously rough around the edges and all that. You know he meets Bianca, and you know they even talk about how she you know stopped singing, stopped performing because of you know her hearing issues. She didn't want to lose you know what what she still had, you know what her hearing she has left. So you know they talk about things like that, and things happen like there's certain events that that go down, and. Then, see, I, don't, I just don't want to spoil things. There ends up being like some, like almost like a sense of betrayal. Maybe there's there's tension between Adonis and Dame, and that's you know where things are going to go down. So I don't want to get too specific. You know, I, I don't I don't even know like what was shown in the trailer. Uh, but things get tense, and you know, even though with with these type of movies, you know, most of the movies you figure it's like well you know, the good guy's always got to win, right? But no, that's not the case. You know, if you look at Rockies, you know, the good guy doesn't always win. And, you know, you, you never know what's going to happen with these movies, you know, if they totally want to throw a curveball at you. So when you're watching it, and when, when I saw it in my theater, so my theater has like, there, there's there's like some big theaters and smaller theaters. I actually saw it in one of the bigger theaters. And and my goodness, I'm, I'm I it, maybe it's been, I'm trying to think of the last time I saw a movie in a big theater because I tend to go into smaller ones because it's cheaper and it's whatever. But this is a sound system. I mean, there's clearly a difference from the sound system in the different theaters. Because it's like, you just like feel those punches and everything. And 
and they did a, a lot of cool things with this one. I, I feel like they, they kind of mix things up a little bit with like how the fights are, you know, kind of like this one fight, I think it was like earlier, you see like how Adonis is kind of like strategizing, like, like looking, you know, he's taking blows and everything. And he's like looking, he's trying to see like a pattern. What's my opening? Where am I going to go? And then, you know, you got the different fights and how they, they, they practice the fights and, you know, are, are, how much are they hitting each other? How, how do they, they fake fight? Because it's not like the old days where, you know, you you just barely missed them and you the person has to duck at the right time or, you know, fall back. And so they do a great job with the fights. And then every once in a while you got the slow motion where you got like a big, you know, impact of the blow and everything. Or there's time where someone gets hit and it's like, okay, their whole inside is just like shattered from that blow because all the impact and, you know, you expect to see like the rib cage go flying out of their back. And so there, there's a lot of cool moments where just you, you, the way they, they kind of take the fight a little differently. And, and it's a little more stylized or dramatic or whatever, you know, it's, it's totally not how actual boxing is, but it, it helps to amp up the entertainment aspect and just the visual and the excitement and you have all that so it's like by the time you know towards the end of the movie it's like i like i felt like my heart was pounding my chest you know just getting so anxious like what the heck's going to happen and you know again your gut's like well it's got to work out favorably but then you're also telling you like well not necessarily you know the way things are going it's like i don't know and just the performances are really good. It's like there, there was a point where it's like I, I actually got kind of emotional. I mean, just like, you know, some of this is the stuff between, uh, you know, Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors. It's just like, wow. And I'm trying to think because, you know, the first time I really noticed Jonathan Majors was in, in Lovecraft Country. And I really, really enjoyed that show. I, I kind of want to go back and watch it again. But I don't remember being like overly blown away by him. But like him and as, as Kang and... And 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 this, like, holy crap, he's so good. Jonathan Majors is amazing. He's fun, such a phenomenal actor. I mean, all of them, like Michael Jordan, you get all the emotion and everything like that, just like anger and the tense and, and this. And Tessa Thompson, I mean, she's she's just amazing because, you know, she's she's like so diverse. You know, she a lot of times she comes across as like very elegant, but she's also like so fierce and, and just like so cool. And, you know, she's just like ice cream box on her shelves and, and it would probably be like super interesting. So, but yeah, there was a moment I, I, I kind of got emotional or whatever. And it's maybe it was just, you know, lack of sleep the night before or whatever, and, you know, stuff going on. And, and I was just like, Whoa. So I definitely recommend, I got a cough drop in my mouth. In case you hear to hear something, um, it's definitely worth watching, and you know even if you're not a big boxing fan, you know, and but especially if you've seen any of the Rocky movies, if you've seen Creed one, two, you know, you should definitely see this because it makes you like a boxing fan. And like I said, it's not so much about the boxing; it's more about the characters, and you just you know really care and just like oh. so it's it's good stuff. So I think that's all I should say because, you know, I don't want to spoil anymore. But it's just really interesting just the whole dynamics of everything and, and how they pull it off. So it, it's 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 good. You should definitely see this. So and seeing it in a theater, it's it's worth seeing in a big screen just to see those fights and just especially, like I said, the sound system. Whew. So, yeah, Creed 3, definitely see it. Uh, what's Jonathan Majors in next? I mean, I can't wait for more of him as King. I don't like King. I mentioned that with Ant-Man, but he was just so good in that. So that that was a uh, that's Creed 3. Good stuff. And that is going to be this week's podcast. 
So big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Uh, so last week I talked about Life of Pi. This week, I think I might do an off my mind episode. Uh, there's something that, yeah, I've been thinking about. So we'll probably do that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so I got something to say. I got to get ready for this. Um, so 30 minutes of podcast every every single week. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck. And you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. And that's ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. All right, okay. What's going to happen next week? Um, the movie feature is going to be Scream 6. And um, I'm trying to think. So I don't think Superman and Lois starts this week. I think it's the following week. And I'm, I'm starting to get a little worried about like all these. I feel like there's so many shows that I'm, I'm getting too stacked up. But I'm assuming Servants going to be ending soon. Bad Batch will be ending soon. But there's going to be an overlap. And, and I'm also worried about the length of these episodes because I, you know, I don't want to do like four-hour episodes. But it's just hard for me to edit and condense. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know if there. I don't think there's anything else coming up this week. So we got Scream this week. Shazam is is the the following week, so um, yeah, there's there's a lot going on. Um, I hope you are doing well. Hope you're hanging in there. I think, knock on wood, I think I'm kind of getting over. So every once in a while, I still kind of get a cough, but man, that was that was like the longest sore throat I've, I've had in a while. So I hope you are doing well. Hope you're taking care of yourself. And I just you know, I I, I talked to my students you know the other day. It's like, just, you know, try to be a good people, you know, just try to do the right thing, you know, try to try to make smart choices, try to help, try to make the place a, you know, better world, just, you know, just, so that, that's, you know, the main thing, you, you can make a difference, so with whatever you do, just try to remember, be good to each other.